Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Joey Galvez. I want to tell you guys a little bit about the Department of Metahuman Affairs. This one is a story about a team led by a retired sidekick, two felons, a failed actor from Broadway, and a reprogrammed cyborg. But their first mission is to stop the criminals who have robbed a bank, and they will have to set the world at ease. You're going to get 180 pages of entertainment action-packed awesomeness right here in the first six issues in a collected hardcover volume one all you got to do is head on over to kickstarter.com and type in the department of metahuman affairs or dma and check it out right now what's going on everybody we are back again um it's just me right now because i forgot to save our intro because i'm a bonehead anyway I'm going to make this short and sweet. Go over and check out studio.com. You will find all kinds of different headphones and earbuds, and there's just a variety of awesome, high-quality listening devices. And you throw anything you want in your cart, put in Dark Windows 15 to check out, and it will save you 15% off your entire order. Also, go over to GameEnvy.net home of the hobby holder you will find all kinds of cool stuff for paint and miniatures they've got new brushes they just came out with they've got the paint puck the brush bastion um they just released a wet palette as well which is a really cool little tool to have and also obviously the hobby holder the hobby holder is probably the best tool you will ever use to paint miniatures with it's got a full 360 degree uh, access point <laughs> the base spins uh, you can detach the handle flip it over you can get into better angles and whatnot super cool tool when you go to checkout put in broadstone and they will take a percentage off that I can't remember but you get a discount you throw our buddy broadstone's name in there they take some money off for you bing bang boom perfect now with that being said we are going to finish up our series that we've been doing with Justin Rimmel from Mysterious Circumstances. This has been a wild fucking ride on our end to do this. It's a lot of work, a lot of really deep research, but so worth it. So, without further ado, part three of the Westies. Welcome back to Mysterious Circumstances and Dark Windows Podcast. This is part three of the Westies. And as you guys know, I was not on part two. And as you guys also know, Dark Windows fucking killed that episode. You guys did fucking amazing. And I'm sorry that I couldn't be there, man. It was just oh. one of those weekends. You were stuck in a haunted weekend. house, dude. I get that. Uh, <laughs> excuses, excuses. I tell excuses. you what, man. Um, for those who, who heard uh, my Patreon interview with uh, with Jerry and and cammy you know there that that house is fucked man there's some <laughs> there's something not right there but um but yeah we had you guys were working you know busy as hell last weekend and yeah i had stuff going on too so dude i was i was talking to my boss he's telling me it's going to be like this until fucking december 
I could imagine that. 85, yeah. 90 hour weeks until December. I, I'm going to be fucking <laughs> dead by Christmas. Yeah, but you be all ripped for me and them apples. No, yeah. Mm. Or just shitting your brains mm-hmm. out. Second one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I do appreciate you guys taking over on a part two, man. You guys did phenomenal and um, can't thank you enough. Sorry I couldn't be there, man. It was just crazy weekend, man. And you know how it goes. But um, but yeah, so we're going to pick up where, where they left off, I should say. And, you know, with the murder of uh, Whitey Whitehead, which is super interesting because, like I was just telling you guys, you know, uh, Jimmy McElroy, he was supposed to it. He was supposed to pick up all the bullet casings from that uh, from that murder, man. And there was one left behind the toilet bowl. That's what ultimately got Coonan and Featherstone arrested for murder. Yeah, that yeah. was not a smart move on his part to to miss one. Well, who hasn't know, tried to paint behind a toilet bowl? Sometimes it's really difficult. You can't get that little side spot, and you don't see it. I like to and think. I like to think that, journal. You're not going to be able to get like the best angle. You got those little stupid walls there. I like to think that he went to reach back behind there, and he's like, "Ew, no, it's gross back there. I'm not going to." Exactly. Especially in a bar bathroom in the late '70s mm-hmm. in Hell's oh, Kitchen, Jesus, New yeah. York. Oh. Or, or this was the case of like you know, a little kid had left alone in a in a in an unknown place. It's like, oh, I think everybody's got okay. I, I got them all. Yeah, bye. See ya. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, pretty Boy, much, man. Like a three foot. But radius. the best part, the best part about it is, is just like in any other case, pretty much so far, you know, on December twenty first of seventy nine, both of them got acquitted for murder, man. You know, they yeah. were, you know, they were both arrested and again acquitted, which, you know, it is what it is, man. Well, and the reasoning for that is didn't is one of the guys that um that was involved in it ended up killing himself, and they. Or a couple well, of them did, and they pinned it on one of them. And they're like, "Oh yeah, so it must have been him." Well, you guys are free. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's pretty much, yeah. Nuts, dude, <laughs> I know. It's so impressive, though. It, it really is. Like, once you get towards the end, once we get towards the end, and with everything that happens with Featherstone, I mean, I don't, I don't want to give any spoilers, but every, with all these murders that they get acquitted for, it's just so fucking ironic. You know, what happens at the actual end, you know, to where Featherstone ends up, you know, becoming a government witness. You know, and the reason that he became a government witness is just like, how fucking ironic is that, you know? Yeah. But, um... (laughs) I think he made the best choice, though, to do that. He really did. He was a marked man. And, um, you know, going on, I guess, with that, you know... uh, uh, they did end up getting arrested and imprisoned in what 1980? I think it was Coonan uh, on gun possession charges. Featherstone got a counterfeit yes. charge, yes. Uh, which was a huge ordeal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, can, that was... uh, can you tell us a little bit about that? Absolutely. So I, th- I think it all pretty much started. I, it, Kevin can correct me if I'm wrong. I think it all kind of touched off on. What was it September fourteenth of seventy eight? Yeah, it was nineteen seventy eight. With yeah. uh, yep. this manager of the Bowery Savings Bank of Lexington Avenue, um, held a woman there because she tried to deposit two uh, counterfeit hundred dollar federal notes, and the woman who tried to deposit the notes told the later would tell the Secret Service that 
she had quote unquote sessions. Yeah. With she was a, a guy. Yeah. She was a licensed, unlicensed massage therapist <laughs> of the groinal region. Yes. That's fucking all right. I like See? that. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with that. No. They call Kegel those... exercises around a thing makes things more comfortable and softer. They call those happy yeah. endings. No, yes, they don't. A little rub and tug. <laughs> I've been to one. Never mind. <laughs> LA was drug. You got fingered. No. no, but she offered. She was not my type. Her fingers she, were long. Yeah, she had a big Bullshit. You were probably like that dude from uh you're probably that dude like uh at the end of road trip where it's like, did I say one finger? I meant three. <laughs> no, it wasn't one finger. Let's try three tonight. All right. <laughs> How big are your knuckles now? <laughs> oh ow. Uh-huh. It's not the knuckles you got to worry about. It's actually the nails. You got to make sure they're nice and trimmed, nice and clean. And, you know, you don't want them too jacket sharp. You don't tear anything when they go up in. I can keep this conversation going all night. Yep. We've done that before. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. Doesn't take much. He's like, well, now I got to fucking worry about my fingernails when I do this to myself. (laughs) No, no, no. Anyway, so the guys that she mentioned that she had these sessions with were Jimmy and Mickey. Um, she said that she knew one of them had a tattoo on his right arm and underneath it was a tattoo of the word Mickey. She said that each of them paid her $100 and that they paid the club fees with the third C note. The agent was told that they had left around 9 a.m. and that they came back because their car had been towed by the city. Uh, the agent found out that it had been towed and that there was a uh, – was registered in the name of James M. Coonan. When he arrived – Yeah, I think it was at, his like brown caddy or something like yeah. that. Yeah. Because uh, Jimmy had a shitload of different cars. But, I mean, when you have that much money, fuck it, you know? Oh, yeah. What the hell? Why not? He had the meat wagon, that big old van. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, dude, he had a shitload of cars. Yeah. Yeah, he did. Uh, and then the meat wagon. I love that you guys. Yeah. I I was so happy when I heard you guys bring that up. And <laughs> in part two, I was like, I was like, I hope they bring up the meat wagon. Like, <laughs> dude. So later, after the vehicle had been impounded, they two men had actually showed up to collect the vehicle. And when they uh, were asked why they wanted to search it, they they like got amnesia and were like, I. Uh, no, we don't know anything about this vehicle. No, no. Nothing at all. And the two men um, turned out to be Tommy Lucic and Tommy Collins. Uh, this age, agent said that between Lucic's legs and a shiny object, which turned out to be uh, keys, and upon searching the vehicle, they had found that there was a 32 caliber Colt special with a silencer attached to it. Yeah, which, it was. It was in the like in the. In the trunk, in a box full of baby clothes, like wrapped in a diaper. Yeah. So they they tried to hide it, and it just didn't do real well. What's in this <laughs> diaper? Poop. <laughs> they also found a police issue bulletproof vest. While searching the vehicle, an officer approached him, and said that there's two more men that were from that were after actually after the vehicle also, and those two men turned out to be Jimmy Coonan and Bosco. Redonjic? Yes. 
I, I, <laughs> I had a hard time with that one. I had to put it like phonetically to make sure I, yeah, I get you. <laughs> it, was, it was a difficult one. When the agent asked Jimmy about the car and the weapon, Jimmy said that he didn't have it uh, the night before and that Rendonich said that, he, that Lucic had it before. Uh, the agent also then asked Jimmy to tell him where he was at 6 a.m. that previous morning, and Jimmy said that he was with his lawyer. Yeah, I mean, because he's a married man. He's not going to admit that he spent the better part of the night in a fucking mm-hmm. cat house, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so this is where Jimmy was taken downtown and charged with gun possession, and they were. he was later then freed on bail within hours. The U.S. District Attorney needed more to be able to bust Jimmy for counterfeiting, but uh, that was also the source of his bills because, yeah, hell. Um, It wasn't long after, long before, their undercover agent was introduced to uh, Raymond Steen. Oh, and this little shit. (laughs) The the wannabe thug. Yeah, I'll I'll take over on Ray Steen. He... Uh, uh, he had a tendency to, like, on the street, he gave himself the nickname of Little Al Capone. Aw, it's adorable. he was not fucking Al Capone. Like, this guy was the worst gangster of all time. Well, that's why he was little. He was growing into it. Ugh. I think he was just mostly just high. I think he, I Probably. don't even think he was all high. I think he was stupid. Okay, high and stupid, maybe? <laughs> so, Mickey, at this point in time... After beating all these charges, he's like, he's complete. He thinks he's completely untouchable. Um, So he didn't realize when he decided to get involved with the counterfeiting that it was a federal law that he was breaking. And then uh, Jimmy and a couple of the other guys are like, Mickey, you get caught doing this. You're you're done. That's federal. You're going to jail for a long time. And he was kind of at that point with Jimmy where they were starting to grow apart and he was like, eh, yes. fuck him, whatever. I'm going to do whatever I want. But he also looked at like jail, going back to jail is I get eh, away from Jimmy. Yeah. That's not so bad. Yeah. 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 And I mean, Jimmy at this point too, he's really, um, he, I don't want to say accepting, but he's really taking on the whole Italian mobster type persona yeah. too. You know, he's got all these expensive cars, pinky rings, you know, and, I don't know, man. He's just losing touch. And then, and then what, while he's in prison, he, he orders, uh, Featherstone, you know, eventually to kill, uh, Billy Beatty. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, spoiler alert, Mickey doesn't do that because him and Billy were, were pretty tight. Yeah. Yeah. Because after Coonan gets out, um, well, I mean, there is something that happened before this. We do have to note that, you know, in, uh, was January of 83, uh, you know, uh, Roy DeMeo gets killed. Yeah. So Coonan's like, what the fuck? That's my Gambino connection. And they're, they're still like an arm of the Gambino family. They're basically a hit crew, you know, but they have that protection. So he ends up going to, uh, I think Danny Marino was the new, was the new, uh, contact that he kept. But, um, but yeah, when he gets out of prison in 83, when Coonan gets out of prison, uh, he, he, you know, he's telling Featherstone, he's like, he tells him to kill Beatty again because he fucking <laughs> didn't do it the first time. Because basically what was going on was Billy, Billy Beatty wasn't collecting his loan shark debts. And I mean, I, from what I understand, it was what hundreds of thousands of dollars that he hadn't collected in yeah, loan shark was, debts. 
they they didn't give a specific number in the book that I read, but he said it was six figures easily. Yeah. So I mean, he was he was in pretty fucking deep. Yeah. So if he's not making Mickey money or Jimmy money, you know, he's pretty much, you know, why have him around? You know, blah, blah, blah. I got all these other guys that'll go do the job for me. And so, yeah, when Coonan tells uh, tells Featherstone, you know, again, he's like, hey, he's like, you need to go kill Billy Beatty. And, uh, you know, Mickey, Mickey's like, no, I'm not going to. And what he actually went and did was he went and told Billy Beatty. Yeah. He's like, hey, you know, Jimmy wants me to kill you. I just want you to know that if anything happens, it, it'll never come from my hand. He's like, I'm not going to do that to you. And, and the, but, the reasoning for him wanting to kill Billy after he got out of jail was really fucked up because it was something to do with Edna where she's like, oh, he's been calling me and trying to hook up, yada, yada, well, yada. Yeah. Let's, let's, let's you know, and it's yeah. just like, yeah, this bitch is nuts. <laughs> yeah, Edna's fucking – Edna was – Billy wasn't the only one that, yeah, you know, supposedly, she oh, that they wanted dead. I've got, I've got direct quotes. Wanted dead. Uh, yeah, um, so the police end up getting an undercover officer by the name of Ron Malfi uh, into this little crew with Steen. Um, they were really trying to get Ray to open his mouth and say something stupid, which didn't really take a lot for him. Uh, he he told Mal, uh, he told Malfi um, what he claimed that he knew about, you know, Coonan and what he was up to with the Italians. Um, most of the shit that he was saying to him was either completely fabric uh, fabricated or so outlandish that it's like not believable. Like at one point in time, he was telling him, he's like, you know, Oh, he, he has dinner like on a weekly basis with, uh, with the boss. And it's like, no, he fucking doesn't you idiot. <laughs> you know, so, yeah, right. he has to make himself look good. Yeah. And he, then when he starts talking about the money, he was telling them that, you know, the bills were being made at the farm upstate. And then next week they'd be like, oh, they're coming in from somewhere down south. So he didn't know he didn't really know the first thing about being a gangster or keeping his mouth shut when he didn't know what to say. Mm-hmm. So the first buy of the illegal bills was December 11th. Um, and Steen sold Malfi a hundred dollars. Uh, three $100 bills as a sample of what he could get. So he could, uh, so he could see the quality. Um, Melfi was interested and said, Hey, I want, you know, I want two grand worth. Um, as long as the price was lower, that was might was less than 50 points. So as long as it was less than 50% of the fa- uh, face value of the money. So he wanted to pay a thousand dollars or less for the $2,000 worth of fakes. But then he was also said he was going to make a, you know, by buying these first little batch, he said, I'm going to then buy a much larger batch. Yeah. Which was, what, was it $2,000 worth? Of he, yeah, they, they get way up there with some of them. So Steen and Malfi agreed to the 30 to 35%, and uh, he gave him two phone numbers to, to call. Um, Steen gave him his home phone number and the number to the Westway candy store. Uh, Malfi, on the other hand, gave Steen the number for a social club in Brooklyn. Turns out that social club was actually a Secret Service undercover line. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. Either way, you're going to get fucked. <laughs> yep. So Malfi made three more deals with Steen. Uh, the biggest one being January 9th, which is a total of 200 fake $100 bills. They agreed to the price of $27 per bill, which is still pretty good money. Mm-hmm. Um, and Steen also, also sold him a bunch of... Uh, 
stolen like traveler's checks and fucking credit cards. And then like out of nowhere, it's like, hey, and if you ever want to buy some Coke, I got a guy for that, too. And they also said, oh, hey, also, by the way, because I'm so drugged out right now. I also know this guy named Donald Malay who owns a candy store and out back of his candy store. It was in the basement, I thought. Oh, the late. Okay, yeah, yeah it could have been. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have a. He makes you know, silencers and he does everything to all this other stuff to weapons. So if you need anything done, go see him. That sounds like my like dream store. <laughs> I get my candy and I get gun stuff. Get my sweet tooth on and get my boom boom on. <laughs> so this was kind of like you know, the you know, the Secret Service and FBI. And everybody like, okay, this. So this is uh, we'll, we'll write that on the board. Okay, and then we'll also get the counterfeiting in here. So this is gonna be a pretty good goddamn goddamn case against these two guys. Yeah, and you know, plus more. So then to jump forward to January fifteenth, uh, January fifteenth of nineteen seventy-nine, Malfi and another undercover uh, were supposed to buy sixty-nine hundred dollars worth of fakes, and the meeting was actually to take place at Donald uh, Malloy's store which was the Westway Candy Store, which is one of the numbers that Steen gave him. They picked up Steen, and he was all kinds of high, talking about selling acid and guns, and to punctuate the point, he just, like, reaches into his waistband and whips out a twenty-five caliber Beretta and starts fucking waving it around in the van. <laughs> I told you I got guns! <laughs> so he starts saying, you know, like, like Kevin was saying, the owner is like, oh, he's a, he's a gunsmith, he can do all this shit, he's making silencers in the basement next to the fucking, uh, the taffy machine or whatever the fuck he's got and was it like mouthy mouthy like well can you show me something he's like well yeah sure i can you know so hey let's go take a ride so to prove that he was a complete fucking idiot (laughs) steen (laughs) takes him back to the apartment that he lives in and as they're walking down the hall they get to a door marked 15b and he points to the door next to it and he goes you see that that's where my man Featherstone lives. So he just tells these two undercover officers where Mickey fucking Featherstone lives. He yeah. lived right next door to him. In 15C. Yeah. So they go into Ray's apartment. He grabs a 22 with the silencer and he takes him up to the roof. Takes him up to the roof to show him how uh, how well it worked. He was actually he was actually fairly impressed with the quality of the suppressor and he's like it's not bad. Um, so over the next few weeks, Steen opened up a bit more and started to spill some more some actual good info about the inner workings of the gang and why they chop up bodies yeah and they got all of this shit on a recorder mm-hmm. he would say stuff like take for instance someone comes over and shoots your sister right that guy you can't just go over and kill him because they're going to have a feeling that it's you or someone in your family so you do a disappearing act on him nobody knows where he is or what he's doing nobody knows nobody <laughs> Yeah, take him to a David yeah. Copperfield. You'd be like, David, you know what to do. He throws a sheet on him and yeah, disappears. Don't disappears. <laughs> change him. Disappear. Then they get onto the topic of Jimmy Coonan, and he says, "The president, he owns everything. He fucking runs everything. All your theatrical unions and your construction. I mean, this guy walks into the biggest unions in the world and says to the other guy, i 'I'm taking over now.' That's the type of person he is. He tells those other fucking people." Uh, he, t- he tells those other fucking people no when there ain't nobody in their right mind that's going to stand up to him. So <laughs> he just he is. He was probably a nice guy, like if you were to sit down and talk to him, but he's fucking dumb. 
you know who doesn't have that friend where it's like i am that friend oh i'm gonna go there where it's like you're just too damn adorable to be like i just should slap you the, 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 meanwhile the invest the investigators are like this guy's kind of kind of fucking nutty and yeah you know he, he, he's your friend a lot of full of shit but i think i kind of like him you know when when they first started working with him when he wasn't around they referred to him as a pudgy loudmouth. <laughs> Okay, he is you. But afterwards, they would just call him. They would call him, you know, Ray or Raymond, like yep. from the, the listening van. They never called him by his last name because they're like, you know, he's he might be an idiot, but for the time being, he's our idiot. <laughs> he's oh my god, that's amazing. You know, so late in January of '79, <laughs> uh, Steen met up with Featherstone at Amy's, and uh, Featherstone tried to tell Steen, he's like, listen, these guys you're dealing with are fucking cops, you know. And uh, like, no, 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 they're not. No, they're not. And he tells me, he goes, I had Jimmy Mack look into it. They checked the plates. Uh, the van, the plates on that van are from a stolen Dodge Dart. And Featherstone told him, ain't nobody with any sense that's going to drive around armed with stolen fucking plates and counterfeit money in the car. Nobody except the law. Plus, who the fuck would pay 27 points on that shit? <laughs> I mean, these guys are supposed to be wise guys, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> I, I love how these guys talk where they're just like, <laughs> it's so fucking 1970s and it's beautiful. <laughs> Mickey's it like, is it, too, it, and it's fucking New York to top yeah. it off, you know. <laughs> and, and Ray, being such a you know an idiot, he just basically blows off Mickey. He's like, "Don't worry, I got this under control." And, yeah, Mickey's just like, "Well, They're my friends, boss." <laughs> I mean, put just... the cocaine down, Lenny. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> He's like, if, if they're agents, they already got you. So you might as well go ahead, you know. Yeah. You're pretty much like, they've already got you. You might as well just fucking keep rolling with it and see what happens. So, <laughs> I mean, at, at the same time, Mickey had started getting back, like getting into the, the Coke, like real heavy. Mm. He was still drinking like a fucking fish. And this picked up like picked up steam a lot after the uh, after the whitehead killing and the reasoning for doing what he was doing is he was trying to muster up the the confidence and the courage to go talk to jimmy and be like hey it's not just me saying this it's the rest of the guys saying you're fucking up we don't like the direction this is going in because you're not you're losing focus on your people yeah you're worried about the big picture not worried about what's in-house and and his you know Mickey's whole like guess scheme behind the whole counterfeiting was that hey I'm gonna receive twenty seven dollars per hundred dollar note yep and then what he's gonna do with the money is take seven dollars of it give it to Steen and then you take ten dollars of it for himself put it up his fucking nose yeah and then take the other ten dollars and put it in a lawyer fund yeah because be like I'm gonna get caught probably so pretty I smart might as, idea yeah might as well have the money to pay for a lawyer so. Yeah, rainy day fund. Even though, let's be real, he never paid his lawyer. <laughs> like Larry Hawkheiser, never got a fucking dime out of Mickey Featherstone. <laughs> he, no, he he literally got paid nothing. Like it was more, I'm gonna work with you because I like you. I think you're a good kid. Pay me when you can. And Mickey's just like, yeah, no. about that. Uh, I don't really have like a real job. Do you like so, whiskey? Because I know a bar right around the yeah, corner I'm not where everybody knows you. my name. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking cheers reference, you son of a bitch. 
Um, so February 9th, uh, Richie Egan is, and his team get armed up and they put on their bulletproof vest and they wait at the, uh, the John Jay College, which is across the street from the Westway Candy Store. And they're sitting there waiting for Mickey to show up. Everything's set. They've got their search warrants, you know, eyes dotted, T's crossed. They've got everything ready to go. The Secret Service boys were in place and ready to boogie, and the raid was getting ready to go. Just a few blocks away, another team was set up for a simultaneous hit on Featherstone's apartment, and Melfi and his crew were, were ready to pick up Ray Steen. So at 7 o'clock that night, Featherstone shows up at the candy store with a package, and Steen was already there waiting for him. And the package that he had contained $50,000 in fake bills that Steen was supposed to be selling to Melfi in just a couple hours. Hey, Justin, yeah, you're still good. There? Okay, cool, cool, yeah, cool. Yeah. I'm, I'm <laughs> intently listening. Like, that's the, uh, like, I love the fact that you guys, uh, you guys have the book. So, like, I'm, I'm learning, like, I know the details, but not the details, details. So, like, Dude, I'm, uh, I'm if, intently learning. If you get a chance to, uh, like, if you have Audible or something, I would mm-hmm. highly recommend getting that book. It's such a good listen. I do have Audible, actually. I should. And I think, um, and on, so, at 7.07, he called his house from the store, and uh, he told Sissy to have Billy Uptown, who is uh, Billy Comus, hang out there, and he'd be, he'd be home as soon as everything was all set. At 7.30, Malfi's van pulls up in front of the store, and Steen climbed in. A few minutes after the van left, the order was given to hit the store. So th- this was very, very well planned out and coordinated, because they did a, there was a lot of moving parts, and they all worked perfectly. Mm-hmm. So Richie Egan and his team start, they're just hauling ass, running across the street, uh, headed towards the store. And as they're running across the store, Mickey Featherstone's standing outside smoking a fucking cigarette. And as soon as he sees these guys running across the store, he just kind of like drops his butt and walks back in. Like, well, this sucks. Time to go. <laughs> but I mean, the thing is, it's the 70s. He could have just smoked inside and been like, fuck it. It's cold out there. Maybe like fresh air while he's smoking. <laughs> so he uh, he steps back in and... Uh, also in the store were Don, uh, Donald Malley, who is the store owner, Tommy Collins, and three or four just other people from the neighborhood. Um, and, and you know, so the cops are fucking yelling and screaming as he's going back in. And Mickey, Mickey shouts, "It's a raid!" Yeah. the The best part about this whole thing is like Richie Egan is like so jazzed up to do this whole thing. He's he's kind of like the police department's team lead on this because they're working with the uh, the Secret Service. As he's running across the street, he hits a patch of ice and almost falls on his ass. Oh, that would have sucked. <laughs> and, like, just as he started, like, he caught himself and kept running. Another car with, like, five Secret Service dudes pulls up. Could you imagine? Benny Hill music playing yeah. in the background? Yeah. Could you imagine being like, oh, man, this is so fucking cool. I get to lead this raid. And we're working with the Secret Service, and they're badass. And you fall, like, right flat on your ass in front of these guys. And you're just like. <laughs> Let's I'm do gonna, this tomorrow. Yeah, but <laughs> go loser. So, would it be embarrassing if I shot myself in the mouth instead? Or you're just like, oh, sorry, guys. <laughs> so Mickey gets back inside, and he had a a, a, a a 25 caliber Beretta tucked into his waistband in the back. And as he goes back in, he takes it out and just fucking throws it on the floor. And like he, it hit the floor just as the agents are coming through the front door to this place. He ends up tripping one of them with it. <laughs> They, yeah, they burst in, tell everybody, get the hell down, face yeah. down, and they begin handcuffing everyone and reading their Miranda rights to them. Yeah. 
I think they said they were out. They also went over what they called their pedigrees, which would be like, yes, t- like asking everybody about their criminal records and all this stuff. Yeah, name, and, da- uh, name, uh, date of birth, you know, all that good stuff. That's like then one they of the proceeded- best parts about when, uh, not to cut you off, but like that's one of the best parts about Mickey Featherstone when he goes to eventually, which we'll get to, not, you know, spoiler alert, when he eventually becomes a government witness, they sat him down and they're like, okay, we'll do this, this, and this, and this, but you have to tell us about every crime you've committed in the last 20 years. <laughs> like, could you imagine that fucking conversation? Well, yeah. One time I was at the movie theater and I threw a puke <laughs> over the railing. Well, this one time I shot this one guy and, you know. <laughs> like, the thing in the book is, like, when they asked him that, he pretty much told him, like, I don't know where the fuck to start here. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. in an interview with uh, one of the DAs that interviewed him, he straight up said, he's like, I couldn't believe, like, what was coming out of this guy's mouth. It's like he'd literally done everything, and he's like, he just sat there and just started talking and wouldn't stop. For a normal person, that'd be like, tell me what you've had for breakfast every day for the last 10 years. Yeah. You're just like, yeah, and, oh, and they said he was he was so forthcoming with information. He was just like nonchalant. He's like, oh, yeah, we like I killed this one guy back in, you know, 75 and blah, blah, blah. Oh, I, I can think of is uh, Ted Kuklinski when. Uh, oh, Richard, yeah. Richard Kuklinski. Yeah. When he was talking. You got, yeah, the, two, you got the two sorry. Polish guys. Mixed up again. <laughs> so sorry. Yeah, but he was just talking about the whole, you know, his murders and everything. The Una Iceman. Talking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, you're a dick. Yeah. Hey, at least he knew the names. <laughs> True. <laughs> I know. You had the book. Yes. <laughs> anyway, enough of my fuck offery. Yeah. <laughs> so as the police have got all these guys handcuffed on the ground, they, they basically have to let them all go because they can't come up with charges for anybody because they couldn't find the goddamn metal metal lathe. Yeah. Wait, they're like, because where is it? Spoiler alert. It was never there in the first place. Yeah. Race full of shit. Racine's a fucking liar. So meanwhile, at the Featherstone apartment, which <laughs> meanwhile, <laughs> I kind of, it all. Yeah, I just like, because there's a layup there. I not justice league that. Just because there's a layup doesn't mean I'm always going to make it or take it. Leave so, it alone. So meanwhile, at the Featherstone apartment, the cops are fucking banging on the door and yelling. And they're like, oh, we got a search warrant. And they keep hearing noises from inside. And uh, what the noise is that they're hearing <clears throat> is Billy Comus trying to figure out a way to fucking escape. But they're on the 15th floor and there's no fire escapes, which I'm pretty sure is illegal now. So they end up getting like uh, one of those big like battering ram kind of things and they just blow the door off the hinges. And uh, Comus is fucking freaking out. He runs into the bathroom and he's like, he's like, shit, sissy. No, no, she didn't. They don't rip it off. Sissy opens the door. Oh, well, they were. I'm sorry. They were beating at it. Yeah, they were going to beat at it. But Sissy is like because Billy comes out and goes, you know, hey. Uh, you know, somebody's banging out the goddamn door. I think it's the cops, you know. Yeah, he's like, like, shit, it's a raid. We got to, yeah. you know. So, and Sissy's like, oh, Jesus, comes out. You know, as she opens the door to find out what the hell's going on, the cops come flying in. I almost see her, like, going out and open the door. You know, her fucking hair, like, hair's up in curlers, and she's in, like, a, a fucking pink bathrobe and slippers smoking a cigarette. Like, <laughs> what the fuck do you want? <laughs> well, ma'am. <laughs> so, like, like Kevin was saying, as soon as the door opens like all these fucking like secret service agents and cops and stuff just go flying into the apartment um 
they basically tell Comus and Sissy, sit the fuck down on the couch, keep your mouth shut. And they hear Mickey Jr. crying, and they're like, you know, they tell Sissy, like, tell your kid to get out here. And she's like, he's a year and a half old, you know? <laughs> Crawl your ass out your crib and get out here yeah. right now. She's like, what do, you, what do you want me to do? So her niece was also staying with him, too. So her niece walks into the kitchen, and she went over and grabbed her and sat her on the couch with him. She went in and got, uh, got Junior. And uh, they basically just sat there while these agents tear the fucking house apart. For two whole yeah, hours. two hours. And they end up finding uh, two bayonets, a machete, some 30-06 rounds, two blank New York State driver's licenses. Um, An honorary Winchester County detective shield. Yeah, which I'm thinking could have been used for some nefarious stuff right there. Yeah. <clears throat> a fully loaded 25 caliber Beretta as well. The, and that Beretta is going to come back into play as we go down the road a little ways in this story. Yeah, and Billy had been, to back up a little, Billy had actually been there at the house because, or the apartment, I should say, because he had, the previous night, I think it was, been uh, released on bail. Yeah. Which was put up by Mickey. And Mickey basically said, you're going to stay the fuck here. Yep. You know, not going anywhere. So they didn't find anything that was being used to make these fake bills that they thought were being made there. So they also searched Steen's apartment and didn't find anything like plate like for like they went in there looking for the plates to make the bills and uh, they didn't find them. And they're like, what the fuck? Like he said he had the plates and he's got all these guns and shit and there's nothing here. But the reason there's nothing there is because the day before Mickey told him, hey, shit's coming down. Get all that stuff out of your apartment. Bring it over, bring it over to your aunt's. Just clean house get everything out of there that could get you arrested so when the agents finally get into his apartment they end up finding a 25 caliber and a 12 gauge shotgun that was all they found in there to get him get any charges on him was that well he gets arrested though well yeah (laughs) so actually speaking of which the third part of the operation takes place on 61st street and 11th avenue where a follow car actually pulls up behind mal uh behind malfi's van and stops Malfi tells Steen, he's like, hey, I'm going to run the bills back. This is my guy. He's got our money. We're going to give him the counterfeits. This is where we're going to make the, the exchange here. So he takes two paper bags to the fake uh, the fake car, and uh, they talk for a couple minutes. And then he returns and tells Steen that they have to go. We got to go up the street a little bit because he thought it was a little hot here. So we, he left the money somewhere else. We got to go up and pick it up. So Steen's starting to get a little nervous, you know, a little apprehensive. And when the van stops again, Malfi went over and talked to another car full of guys. And these guys just straight up get out of the car, surround the van, pull Steen out of it. Um, <laughs> here's here's where you find out what kind of shitbag Ray Steen is. <laughs> because Mickey handed him a package at 7 o'clock that had $50,000 in fake money in it. When they arrested him a few, like maybe an hour later, and they count up all this money, there's only $48,000 in there. So Ray Steen, in the period of a little over an hour, has skimmed $2,000 worth of fucking fake bills on these guys. <laughs> He's a dick. So it's like, so like this fucking little Al Capone tries to screw him out of $2,000, and like when they counted it up, they're just laughing. They're like, this guy's a fucking moron, you know? Hey, man, when opportunity isn't knocking, I'm answering the door. Yep. But, I mean, he's in the van with these guys. He's just like, whoop. 
Just like slides it in his pocket hey, or something. I told shit. you about the magic trick, making people. Never mind. Just what do you... <laughs> so when they end up getting steamed to the Secret Service office, which was in the World Trade Center, um, he tried to tell them that Featherstone wasn't even involved. And, you know, he was just using his name to kind of he was throwing Mickey's weight around yeah, trying to, to make him look people. big. Yeah. He said he stole the money from uh, the town and country pub. And the feds knew that Ray was lying at this yeah. point. And they then brought in U.S. District Attorney Ira Block. And uh, and, uh, Secret Service agent uh, Greg Durkash, who plays a huge role in this whole breaking of of, uh, Ray Steen. Um, So, like you were saying, with Ira Block, he was uh, was the assistant U.S. uh, US attorney for uh, the southern part of New York, I think is what it was. So they told him, he comes in and he goes, okay, Ray, hey, listen, you know. If you're convicted, you're going to get... Which you will be. Yes. 50 to 60 years yeah. for the counterfeit, counterfeit currency, gun, and narcotics possession charges all together. So that means you're going to be in jail for a long time. Pretty much the rest of your life because you're about 20 years old at this point. So sensing that this was not something that he wanted, he started to talk. Yeah. But before he starts talking to them, he basically tells them i want my girlfriend down here i want yeah. i want alberta down here i want to talk to her so they end up bringing in alberta Sachs, who is ray steen's girlfriend and also jimmy coonan's niece mm-hmm. so this could be very very bad for both of them <laughs> if, if word got out because i i honestly don't think that jimmy coonan would have even batted an eyelash if he had to kill his niece i don't think he would have given a fuck he'd been like whatever if it meant no. keeping his ass, ass out, if it meant keeping his ass out of jail and not, you know, getting caught, yeah, you and know, I mean, collateral damage. Sorry. And, and Ray Steen, he would have, he wouldn't have fucking flinched. He would have just see whatever. Yeah, see ya. Yeah. Um. So after those two talking, you know, he decided, yeah, I'll, I'll talk to you. I'll tell you, tell you everything. And while they're being interviewed down the hall, Billy Comus is being interviewed by the Secret Service. And they told him that they knew that he was Mickey's source for the counterfeit money. And Comus wasn't biting because he was a hard-knock criminal, yeah, Bill, unlike Steen. Yeah, Billy Comus had been around the block. He'd been to prison. He'd been to prison more times than he could count. While he was in jail, he'd been fucking stabbed, beaten. He had actually been raped more than once while he was in prison. Like, he had been through some shit in jail. Brutal. Yeah. Hey, he, you know, he had basically said that, you know, you guys got my goddamn record. You know, you, you know what I'm, you know what I'm, you know, have done. So let's, you know, let's cut to the chase. And he was more scared of not prison, but more scared of Mickey and Jimmy. Yeah. Because, you know, being arrested was just nothing. He didn't want to end up dead. And he, he went on to tell him that the fake money was coming from uh, from another Greek that he knew, a uh, guy by the name of Nick Derisakis. The bills are being printed in New Jersey by a guy named Pete Christie. Which I'm when I first saw oh, when I first saw Chris that I was Christie? like I was like is he related to the governor? New Jersey. Hmm. <laughs> like like it'd be the first time a fucking politician was related to a gangster. That's true. I mean fucking Whitey Bulger's brother was a goddamn oh, God, uh, yeah. city sent a city congressman in Boston for yeah. fucking forty oh, years. Was it a congressman or was he a senator? <clears throat> no, he was like some kind of I like. 
I thought he was a senator. I was thought he? he was like high oh, up. He was, he, was, he was a state senator. That's right. Something like that. Yeah. yeah. And he was he was a state senator for like fucking 30 years. And then they finally arrest his brother. And he goes, yeah, I guess I'm going to resign. <laughs> like he didn't know what he was <laughs> I doing. Probably you know? quit. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So he told him he was buying the money from from Darasakis at 6% of face value and selling them to Featherstone at 12. The agent mentioned the poor quality quality of the bills. And Comus told him that they looked like shit because they weren't treated the right way. To give the bills um, more of like a used kind of beat up look, they were usually like soaked in coffee for a little bit. Then they dry them. So they look grimy and shitty. Mm-hmm. These ones would actually have been treated in tea. So you got more of like a like a sepia kind of deal to it. You know, it's not yeah. it's not the blackness that you get from coffee. And uh, the agents told Comus that they could try and protect him if he wore a wire to get information on Coonan and Featherstone. And he said if it went to trial, they could get him into the witness protection program. They couldn't be positive that they could keep him safe if he got caught wearing the wire. But they still like, maybe you should. And at this point in time, he's like, he pretty much goes, yeah, sure, why not? You know, and like Mime's putting a gun to his head and pulling the trigger. He's like, yeah, I'm not wearing a fucking wire, you idiot. So this is where stuff starts to pile up against Featherstone and the rest of the crew. Uh, the counterfeiting, even without the plates, the Whitehead murder investigation, um, and a bunch of smaller shit, um, including more gun charges against Mickey, were all in direct violation of him being on parole. <laughs> and there had been a ton of evidence, including fake bills Agent Malfi brought forward. Um, they, they found... Oh, everything they found at uh, at Featherstone's apartment could be used against him as well. And the testimony of Ray Steen and taped conversations from where they had tapped the phone um, at the candy store. And uh, a lot of the stuff they get on the candy store is like Mickey calling Donald Malley and like trying to set stuff up. Uh, Ray Steen calling Sissy calling from time to time. And a lot of the time when Sissy was calling, she sounded like she knew a little bit more than she should have about the counterfeiting. Well, she probably did. Just yeah. Just knew to play dumb. Yeah, and just but, because they had all this information, I mean, that the problem was not getting the information or having the information. It was how to proceed right. with the case or what cases to proceed with and what was the priority, you know, which – you know, the counterfeiting or the whitehead murder you know, or other small charges, anything like that. So they're like, we have to work this out. Yeah. So after he was arrested, uh, Ray Steen was sent to Rikers Island. And um, while he was there, uh, uh, an attorney named Ken Aronson, who was actually the partner of at this point in time, he wasn't the partner but he was another attorney in Larry Hockheiser's uh, I practice. He, I thought he was. I, was he a, was he a yeah, partner? Yeah, he was a partner point? because okay. Larry had actually left, I think, the previous. Yeah, um, he, he started his own practice. Yeah, and I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure if this point in time Aronson was just a reg- another attorney there or if he had become a partner. I didn't remember time frame-wise. Yeah, and it was all because uh, they had actually represented, it, rep- rep- represented, represented Steen in a previous case. Okay. Um, for a mugging and robbery charge, which he then got off of. And they tried to call Rikers Island in an attempt to reach Steen, but they were told that Steen was refusing to be represented by Hawkeiser and Aronson at the time, which kind of told them that 
He flipped. Yeah, he flipped. He was cooperating with authorities, and so he passed this information. Uh, Hawkeyeser passed this information on to Mickey and uh, Jimmy. That- which, which kind of makes you wonder what kind of guy Larry Hawkeyeser is. I know. It's like you're. I understand you're a defense attorney and you represent this guy. Should you really be giving him information from someone in prison? That seems a little <laughs> illegal and, and, and now, maybe immoral. <laughs> and also like how he, you know, will later on learn that he kind of screws Mickey, sort of. I don't think he screwed him. I think he just didn't do his job as well as he could have. Well, and you got to remember, too, he's doing at this point pro bono work. That's you know true. what I mean? Yeah. So, So the legitimacy of his you know, legal practices <laughs> might be a little bit in question. So a month to the day after the raid on the candy store, uh, Mickey Featherstone's walking down 55th street uh, towards, uh, he's walking from his apartment towards a, a check cashing store, middle of broad daylight. And he gets fucking surrounded by detectives and secret service agents. One of the guys, detective McCabe, who was, uh, he was actually the head of the, inf- uh, head of the investigation. And, uh, Pretty, pretty much just goes, what am I being arrested for? And McCabe tells him, you know, we're taking you in for your involvement in the Whitehead hit. And uh, Mickey told him, he's like, there's no way you can make it stick and just put his hands out in front of him and let him handcuff him. Yeah, his reply was, nope, you'll never make it stick. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and five weeks later, Jimmy Coonan was arrested in yeah. New Jersey for the same killing. Uh, while they were both in the tombs, they were both charged with uh, federal counterfeiting charges. And days after this charge was brought against them, Mickey Featherstone was taken from the tombs to central booking in Queens by Sergeant Joe Coffey. Who, by the way, has uh, his own podcast, which I'm tr- I want to try to find. Really? Oh. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty confident. I'm pretty sure that's what he said at the end of the book is he has his own radio show. So I'm thinking it might be a podcast. Hmm. Nice. And he was then charged with the 1977 murder of Mickey Spillane. Which... Which is, we know is bullshit. Yeah, they, they, I think the cops knew that was bullshit. Yeah. And I think they were just trying to find a way to get him on something else so they could get him to a different area mm-hmm. away from Jimmy Coonan. Because they thought maybe if we separate the two of them, we can get Mickey to talk. Which, yeah. you're not gonna. <laughs> and, and Mickey's like, he swore that, you know, he, I didn't commit the murder, you know. And at Mickey's arraignment hearing in April on the counterfeit charges, the assistant U.S. Uh, attorney Ira Block laid out all the charges for Aronson, which w- contained 31 counts for counterfeiting. Oh, there well, were... wasn't even ca- wasn't just counterfeiting. It was no, like uh, 31 counts, including the counterfeiting. Yes, I'm sorry. Yeah, <laughs> then there was also two charges for uh, homicide. Yep, and, and those were Whitehead and Spillane. Yes, Block told uh, Mickey's lawyers that he was facing a minimum of 50 years. And it would probably be more like 200 years in, in prison if he was convicted. Yeah. Uh, Block told Aronson that to get his client to become more cooperative and, and become a witness or come into the protection program for to flip on Jimmy, yeah. basically. So with that whole 200-year thing, Aronson usually would have been like, yeah, whatever. But knowing what – Mickey was all about. He was like, "Mm, maybe we should look into this a little bit more seriously. And uh, he said, I I won't. What was it? It was exact words was uh, I'll bring them in, but I'm going to tell him not to say a word. Yeah. (laughs) So Aronson kind of knew that 
this whole like whip pro thing was coming and he really wasn't looking forward to talking to Mickey about it because a, if he brought it to Mickey, it would look like it was his idea. And B, if he left the option off the table and Mickey got fucking hemmed up for this and it's something that could have kept him out of jail, he would have felt responsible that he had sent this man to jail for the rest of his life and taken a father and a husband away from his family. Yeah, I mean, but Mickey wasn't, you know, he, he didn't really give a shit about going to jail. No. His his main concern was more like more was more his wife. Yeah. And the charges against her. And, she, you know, because he's like, I, I don't want her to go to jail at all. So because the, the feds had her voice on wiretaps. Yeah. Sounding like she was an accomplice in the counterfeit operation. And when they had raided their apartment, the feds confiscated a large amount of uh, counterfeit copper slugs. Which, <laughs> this was fact. This is actually pretty damn funny. Yeah, that <laughs> Sissy and Alberta had been using in the washing machines at the apartment complex, and they also used them instead of uh, coins to pay for tolls at the New Jersey Turnpike, which are fucking expensive. Because I didn't realize this, but back then they actually didn't have toll toll booth attendants. You just pulled up to the thing and fucking chuck change into the cup. And Some of them, and, yeah. Well, most of them do still. Obviously. Yeah, I mean, you're not going to have somebody there if you're just throwing fucking slugs in it. Yeah. Um, so the next day, he brings uh, Aronson brings Featherstone to uh, to Block's office, and Block just kind of laid it out for him, uh, the charges, all the shit. And Featherstone yeah. just sat there, dead silent, listen. And when Block finished, he asked him, he's like, "Hey, can I say, can I speak to my lawyer privately?" So Block gets up and leaves the room, and. Uh, Mickey looks at it, looks at Aronson and says, Kenny, I'll do anything for you. Uh, I'll do anything you and Larry ever want me to do, but never ask me to be a stool pigeon. No, never fuck them. And after this little conversation, the two legal parties start working out on a plea deal. And like Kevin was saying, most of it, most of his issue was he wanted um, Mickey wanted the charges dropped against Sissy and. Yeah, he should uh, plead to a misdemeanor charge for possession of the copper slugs. Right. And this came with a catch that um, that Mickey had to plead guilty to the counterfeit charges, which carried a 10-year sentence. And for Jimmy, they were willing to drop the counterfeit charges since they really didn't have much He He on wasn't him involved at all in it. So. Yeah. so, I mean, there was kind of a, you know, a double-headed double-edged blade with that with you know mickey gets something and jimmy gets something yeah um they didn't want jimmy to plead guilty to the gun possession charge which would get him or they did want him to plead to it because it'd get him a five-year max sentence um since the whitehead case was still pending the counterfeit case was pretty much unwinnable for both mickey and jimmy yeah. at this point and the government was okay with that because they were kind of like who gives a shit about the counterfeiting? Because we've yeah. got them on the Whitehead case. <laughs> yeah, and this and this is where like Aronson starts to get nervous again. He's like thinking because you know during the raid, Featherstone's apart uh, the raid on Featherstone's apartment, they found a twenty-five caliber Beretta on a shelf. They bagged it, tagged it, all this shit. When they went back and talked to Steen and asked him about the Whitehead killing, Steen said he'd never heard of uh, of Whitey Whitehead. But he did know something about a murder that Mickey and Jimmy had done at the Placa Bar. So that was kind of like fucking slam dunk right there. And we got this. We know this one. 
And he said that the gun that they found at, at Featherstone's house was the one used in the murder. They ran ballistics uh, through. Well, hold on. Yeah, the they, ballistics are done on the empty shell casing. Um, and the bullet found in the bathroom where Whitehead was killed. Yeah. And they matched yeah. the Beretta. They were a perfect was found match in, for yes. the Beretta. Yeah, so it's like. And the fact that the, that the weapon was matched so easily kind of like shocked Mickey and Jimmy. And they're like, well, what the fuck? Like, you know, Jimmy Max said that he got rid of all this shit. And then, you know, they told him, you know, they told they told him to give the gun to Donald Malley so that he could make it untraceable. Like. Uh, like wipe the serial number and mm -hmm. re, uh, re rifle the barrel and all this shit, which he never did. <laughs> so, you know, it's gotta be a lot of hard work to re rifle a barrel. Not as much as that? you'd think, actually. Really? Yeah. I don't know. It seems like it'd be incredibly difficult. No, there's uh, there's actually a, a bench lathe you can use for it. Hmm. I wanted to go to gunsmithing school. No, oh, I know. I was just. <laughs> so, I mean, to, to not only to that they had the ballistics. They also had eyewitnesses to the murder, such as Hugard, yeah, Bobby Huggard, uh, uh, Crowell, and uh, Comus, which had been there, you know, during the when the murder took place. Um, they had subpoenaed; they had all had been subpoenaed, and there was no telling what they may may say when they were put on the witness stand. But both Mickey and Jimmy were sure that the three of them. Um, only the one that probably would say anything would be uh, Billy Hoggard, because no, they they didn't think Hoggard would because they're like he's a pretty he's a pretty stand up guy. The one they were oh, no, he would do the right. The thing. one they were worried yes. about was Crowell because he was a That's fucking right. nut and he had actually been pretty good friends with Whitehead and they thought maybe he might flip to get some some kind of revenge on Jimmy, but the other two they they weren't overly concerned with because they were both like pretty deep in with him. Yeah, because well, no, it was a Comus that was they were the most concerned because you know because they were like, oh well, Crowell and, and Hooger will be fine, but Comus, eh, I don't know about him. He's you know, we're we're not so sure that he can be trusted because I think they had heard um, that he actually started to cooperate for the counterfeit yeah, charges, and then which made him not you know on the good graces of Jimmy. Yeah. And then uh, on December 5th, 1979, the trial of Coonan and Featherstone started. And this was kind of fucking weird because they had the same trial, but they had two separate juries. That's yeah, what I, I was I, wondering about. I was wondering yeah. about that because I had read a little bit about it, but I figured you guys had a little bit more information supposed, because of the book. Yeah. You, you know, he, there was a lot of detail in the book, but reading it and listening to it, it was so confusing that I didn't really know how to word it because it's like – they would have all these jurors for Featherstone. And once his part of like, uh, like opening arguments were done in Mickey Featherstone's favor, were over. They'd send these jurors out and they'd bring another one in and have them go through all the same bullshit for Jimmy Coonan. Then they'd send them back out and start with the, the Featherstone trial stuff. And it's like, they were trying to do the two birds, one stone. Thing. Yeah. It's unprecedented. It's, it's weird. Yeah. And then like, then there's all this other bullshit going on. Like, um, uh, Harold Whitehead's uh, girlfriend shows up with her kid who's crying and uh, <laughs> Larry Hawkeiser is like, is like, you know, somebody shut that fucking kid up, this, that, the other. So the next day he tells Sissy to bring Mickey Jr. in who then sits there and cries from their side of the courtroom and is like, oh no, it's fine. It's just a crying baby. You know, it's like like Lay a distraction. You said president, that kid said, guess what? 
Yeah, like bring them in. We can use them. <laughs> See what you're doing to breaking up a family. If you if you looked up shady ass lawyer in the dictionary, Larry Hawkheiser would probably be next to it. Like, he <laughs> yeah, really bizarre shit. Like him and the fucking um, him and the uh, um, prosecuting attorney almost got into a fist fight more than once before and during the trial. It was a, it was a shit show. If I was the judge, I'd have just been like, fuck it. You're all going to jail. Lawyers, everything. Just get the fuck out of here. <laughs> yeah. Everybody that showed up for this bullshit, get in the van. Yeah. And, and and of all the guys that they were, you know, Jimmy and Mickey were worried about, you know, being Billy being the one that they were most worried about. Well, it turns out that they didn't have to be worried about him because uh, in, was it March? He actually before, he takes the stand. He actually yeah. commits suicide. Because you know, they get they get a call, and they rush to the to the apartment where he's staying at. Burst in, they find him, you know, with a bullet wound to yeah, the head. Yeah, he shot himself in the head. It was it was a pretty clear cut. Like nobody suicided him. He did it himself. Yeah. And was it was it Crowell that they put on the stand? And he's like, oh no, it, it must it was definitely him. You know, uh, Comus did it, and they're just like, okay, sure. You know, yeah. Well, he he froze actually. Yeah, he had, um, he had a really hard time. Like whenever he got in front of people, like especially like a judge or a lawyer, he just like ah, uh, I, I I can't talk, I can't talk. And a couple of times, the the judge actually threatened him with contempt because he was asking him questions and he was just like, uh, like deer in the headlights, like can't talk. Yeah. So like he like he went in, he appeared in court on the eighteenth of of April, froze up. So they said, okay, well, you know, all right, we'll postpone it. And then on the 25th, he comes back in, must have had his, you know, wits about him. He appears, gets on the stand, and then reluctantly, he completely tells the whole story of what happened that night. Um, and after testifying, he becomes nervous because his friend Billy Comas had committed suicide rather um, than testify. Yeah. So he knew... It wasn't too late to run, and if he ran, his, his uh, grand jury testimony would be in, inadmissible, which he felt was – so he's like, oh, okay, well, you know, there's some options here. Yeah, I can run or I can kill myself. <laughs> so he had three, he felt they had three uh, uh, positions. You know, The first was to testify and then wind up dead, and the next option was just to commit suicide like Billy did. Yeah. But then this third option was to just go on the lamb and you know never come back. Uh, well, long story short, he chose option number two in the long run. And uh, again, yeah. another guy connected to this case ends up killing themselves because it's it's safer to be dead than it is to be alive with Jimmy Coonan if you've turned on him. So, because I mean, this was after he had actually paid a visit to Rikers Island to under an assumed name of Murphy to see Jimmy. And because, you know, he's like, well, I want to clear the air after I testified. I want to tell Jimmy that, Hey, you know, I didn't mean anything by it. I just wanted to, you know, not lie. And Jimmy's like, you know, here's the, from the, um, the, Oh shit. I can't think of it now. Uh, (laughs) the security guard. (laughs) Hey, you know, you got, you got a visitor here, Jimmy. Uh, this guy named Murphy. You know, you know Jimmy and, and Mickey are in the same cell. They're like, who the fuck's you know, Murphy? Who the fuck's Murphy? Yeah. <laughs> like, Do you know Murphy? He's and, that guy from over there. 
And Jimmy's like, oh, wait a minute. I mean, I think I knew who it is. Let's be real. They're Irishmen from New York. They probably knew a fucking Murphy somewhere. Yeah. Just probably. saying. <laughs> hey, not to be that guy, but it's like they probably knew a goddamn Murphy somewhere. Yeah, more than likely. <laughs> yeah. So Jimmy's like, I think I knew what it is. I think it's uh, John Crowell. I don't want to go see him. Mickey's like, no, no, don't. He's fucking wired. He's, He's wired. You know, don't. Yeah. Yeah. So when he uh, when Jimmy arrives to the visitor center, he sat right in front of him and didn't say a word at all because he thought he was wired. But turns out that the big painted picture that they sat directly underneath was more wired than Crowell was. So they got this whole conversation, pretty much one sided conversation on tape. Because Crowell's sitting there talking to him, and Jim and Jimmy's just like, mm, 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 just non-committal noises, <laughs> like fucking shaking his head, nodding. He's just like sitting there with his arms crossed, just like not saying a goddamn word because he doesn't trust this guy. Yes, those are words. Yeah, I hear them. Yes, Thank you. lunch was wonderful. Thank you. The capers did make the tuna salad. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> so, you. He basically told Jimmy that you know he was a mess and that he didn't want to testify anymore in court, um, and that if he didn't, he would need some financial help and a fake ID. And Jimmy asked him if he was serious, and he told him, "Yes, I'm serious." So Jimmy gave him a number to call, and a few weeks went by. Um, so he said, "You know, hey, once a few weeks goes by, give this number a call, and you know, we'll, we'll hook you up." Yeah. So Crowell left the prison and he waited four weeks because, you know, this whole thing him. is fucking weird, too. Yeah. Hey, because he took, you know, took him a long time to be like, OK, do I want to do this? Do I want to do this. And, and all of this stuff was supposed to be sent to a job that he had just started and that he was really he was pretty good at. And after he sits down and talks to Jimmy, he just stopped showing up to fucking work. And he's calling like on a weekly basis, like, "Hey, did I get a package? Did I get something? I get an envelope?" Well, no, this was after he makes the call. Yeah, he makes the call after finally getting the you know the nerve to make the call, and he gets told you know gets in touch with a lawyer who tells him to get in contact with Jackie Coonan. So he contacts Jackie and was told that he needed what was needed and that he would drop him. Drop off a Manila envelope at the at Sonia Hotel where Crowell was working. Well, Crowell got cold feet, and he never went in at all. But he kept calling, asking, "Hey, is uh, this envelope arrived? Envelope arrived? Finally, it did." Like Kevin said, and he said, "Can you look inside of it? Tell me what's inside." <laughs> like there's a goddamn snake in it or yeah, something, or, or like, a bomb <laughs> or some shit. <laughs> yeah, and the, the guy's like. All right, man. I'll, I'll look inside. Then he said that there was five hundred dollars and a blank New York license and some other identification paperwork. The I think court... one of them was a passport, if I'm remembering correctly. Yeah, it may have. Like there was a bunch of shit in there, and he, you know. So uh, the coworker was taken back by this and was like, oh, "What man. the fuck are you into, dude? Yeah, I don't like, want. I, I don't want any more to do with this yeah. shit." So he's like, "Hey, leave me out of this," and you know. I'll never pick up a package for you. I'll never open one ever <laughs> yeah. again. I see you. something with your name on it. I'm going to fucking burn it. So <laughs> so on December 21st, the the jury or juries, I guess, would probably be the best word to put it, um, found both Coonan and Featherstone not guilty on the murder of Harold Whitehead. Because 
the blame had been laid squarely at the feet of Billy Comus, who was obviously not around to defend himself because he was dead. So they figured yeah, it was probably him. Um, six months later, Featherstone was acquitted on the Spillane murder, which, again, no shit because he didn't do it. In early 1980, both were both were sentenced for gun possession and counterfeiting, which was actually part of the, the plea deal on the Whitehead case for both of them. Um, Coonan got four to six years and Mickey ended up with a solid six years. Coonan was sent to, uh, to a federal prison facility in Pennsylvania and Featherstone was sent to Missouri, but he would actually finish up his time in Wisconsin. So while in prison, Mickey actually started going to these like um, group therapy sessions. And at first he was kind of like hesitant, like, I don't really want to go sit down with a bunch of fucking dudes and talk about my feelings and all this, that and the other. But after after the first like month or so, he really started liking going and just being able to talk about things and have conversations with other people that were in the like that were in prison basically for the same shit he was there yeah. for. And uh, a couple of the times he actually as he's talking to him, he just like broke down in tears and started crying. And he said that was really weird because he'd never cried in front in front of anybody, anyone but his wife. So like and. But he felt it, it, it was good for him. Right. And another reason it was good for him is because this is the first time he's ever been sent to jail where they didn't immediately just start pumping fucking psychotropic drugs mm-hmm. into him. They're just like, go do your time. And for the first time ever, he wasn't a fucking whack job in prison. Yeah. That's, which was, you know, rather interesting to 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 see that. And uh, then, well, in October of 80, John Crowell commits suicide. Yeah. By a self-inflicted gunshot wound to the head. That one was actually really sad because in the book, they go into a lot of detail about how close he was with his daughter. And I was like, oh, that kind of sucks, dude. Like, you could have just gone away. Yeah. You know, you could have taken your kid and you could have disappeared into the system. Yeah, I mean, so, but you think that, you know, um, Jimmy and Mickey are gone. Yeah. You know, things will, for Hell's Kitchen, will kind of move on and everything else. And no, I, no, not so much. But the thing is, was after Mickey and Jimmy were both uh, thrown into federal prison, the full-time police uh, investigation into the Westies came to a, a, an end. Like, yeah, there was no more full time police investigation, like police work into this after that. Yeah, because what Richie Ryan like moved on. Yeah, moved he got on to shipped off to um, to a totally different uh, case. Yeah, he got shipped to Manhattan and he started working on some like shit with like Colombian drug dealers and all this, that and the other. Yeah. Um, and his partner got shipped to I want to say he got shipped to, to Harlem and he was dealing with like uh, like the uh, like Puerto Rican and uh, Dominican like drug gangs and shit up there, so everybody kind of like went their own way yeah, the, after all of this. So, but <clears throat> money still had to be collected because you yeah, because Jimmy was you know all about you know hey just because I'm gone doesn't mean that uh, you know, people still have to pay your dues. Yeah. So and actually before <laughs> I'm pretty confident there's a movie coming out start with uh, Melissa McCarthy in it that is based on this. And I think the character she's playing is supposed to be Edna Coonan. Oh, really? Oh, shit. But they make it look like they, they from what I've seen, they, they make it look like uh, like she's like going into places and just fucking shoving guns in people's face. Like, pay me, motherfucker. And I'm like, 
No fucking way. Back oh, in the oh, I saw the previews for that. Yeah, yeah. I know what you're talking about. It, it's like it's called it, Hell's Kitchen or something. Isn't uh, it? The the kitchen. The kitchen. Yeah. Yeah. It's like back in the '80s, if some woman walked into some guy's place and like shoved the gun in his face, and told him to pay him, he'd have just fucking slapped her and like, yeah, he would have beat the like, shit. There's out no of her. fucking way that they'd been like, oh, oh, sorry, no. he would have just fucking backhanded <laughs> yeah. the fuck out of her and thrown her out. I will say this though, man, Edna Coonan, like in all the times that Jimmy was locked up. I mean, she was ride or die, man. Yeah, she was. She was a hundred. You know, she 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 made her rounds. She made all the rounds. You know, she for did. for Jimmy. Yeah, Seth, Seth just pulled it up. It is a. Uh, it's called the kitchen. <laughs> it's a. Uh, it actually looks like it could be pretty damn good. Um, I'm curious to know if it'll be kind of comedy because normally she has a little bit of humor behind it. It but doesn't she look it, dude. Yeah. But you know, she always has that like little bit of a smart ass like here and there, like little right. parts. Yeah, because you know, I would she, I would like to see it be serious though, because I I'd like to see how oh, she, she does that. She could do yeah, it. That'd yeah. be cool. Oh yeah, I'd like to see like a character like uh how like Charlize Theron did like Eileen Warnos, like oh, something like fuck, I want like was- a. I want like a badass fucking woman actress who's like, you know, gets into the roles because I think if they actually did make a fucking movie about, you know, Hell's Kitchen and Edna Coonan and shit, you'd need one of them actresses, man. I mean, if you look at the pictures of Edna Coonan, there's no like woman, like female actor that could do it other than (laughs) Melissa McCarthy. (laughs) I agree. I do agree. It's fucking perfect. Yeah. (laughs) You know? That is very true. Yeah, so uh, she made her rounds, and she was given the money because, well, she was given the respect that you don't fuck with Jimmy's wife. Yeah, I mean, she did have protection. She did, you know, bring Richie Ryan and Jimmy McElroy, yeah, along with her. Um, But that wasn't, you know, the collecting wasn't just the only thing that was still coming in for money. Um, They had. One of the most lucrative rackets still was uh, for the Westies continued to be from their relationship with Vincent Vinny uh, Leone. Yeah. Who was the business manager for the ILA local 1909 and a long time uh, show for the Gambino family. Which, which is why we're working with him. Which is interesting. I have to bring this up because we mentioned Gambino family. In the news recently, there's been, I think it was like three or four different people. Of the Gambino family, I think it was that uh, have either what two of them have been released uh, from prison, and I think one just died. Hmm. No least, shit. Yeah, I was like, holy shit, recovering some of these people. Swanee, <laughs> <laughs> you know, throw that in there. Um, so, it, it, and S- Sissy used to go with her occasionally yes. on these collection runs, and then she just like she starts getting this feeling. She's like. And this is a fucking dick. I don't want to. Deal, I don't want to be around her anymore. So she just stopped going on the collection runs. But she, but she would because of uh, another part of the racket um, was that all the people aboard, or most of the people aboard, the USS Intrepid, um, actually worked. That worked there were uh, part of the the Westies. Yeah, it, well, and through, through unions. Yeah, yeah. And Sissy was one of those members. Yeah, she was a ticket taker. Yeah, I believe. And fucking Jimmy McElroy got a, was given a job there that he would show up to like for like twenty five minutes on a Friday to pick up his paycheck. He never actually worked. Uh, no, it's uh, Bobby Hugard. Oh, was it Bobby? Okay, yeah. 
I knew it was one of the two, but like they just fucking like you'd be like, oh yeah, I'm gonna go into work, you know, stand up, crack the back, <laughs> go in and get this check, and go home and fucking just get hammered or whatever. Yeah, because I mean, it was just all you know. That was a th- pretty much a thank you job, you know. Yeah. Hey, for what you did during the trial and not you know talking. Pretty and, much, yeah. Uh, yeah. So they got the job, and then he would also be paid two hundred twenty-seven dollars a week, and all he had to do was just basically show up. Yeah. And that was it. They they did say that he tried to work there for like like the first couple of weeks. He actually tried to do his job, and he's like, yeah. "This is fucking stupid," and just stopped doing it. Just started going into <laughs> his track. Yeah. <laughs> I wish I had a job like that where you just be like, "Yeah, now this is dumb. <laughs> I'm not doing this anymore. I'm just gonna come in and get my check." I work with people like that, but anyway. Um, so, in uh, July uh, on July 26th of 1983. Mickey was released after just about a little over four years of his of his six year sentence. So he got out early for being a good boy and, you know, not getting into fights and all that shit like he usually was. He was this time he was actually like pretty cooperative, like he was just a regular, like good dude in jail and they just let him out. But he I mean, previous after being before he was actually released, he wrote a letter to his oh, yeah. lawyers. I forgot all about that. And told them that uh, things went well. And that he wanted to thank him for all that they had done to help him, and that he it, promised that that once he got out, he would stay out of trouble. Basically saying, "I'll be a good boy." It's like Trailer <laughs> Park Boys. It's like, dear Larry, this year in jail was good, better than last time. Looking forward to next year's visit. <laughs> fucking ridiculous. Uh, yeah. Fuck. <laughs> so. So in July of '83, Mickey was released. I Kevin said after four years, uh, he went to a halfway home in Newark, New Jersey, where he is, would spend a few weeks there, and then he was re- reunited with his wife Sissy and their son Mickey Jr. and niece Esther. Yep, who had all moved um, from who, who who Esther had moved in because yeah, she, of her mother committing sis, suicide. Yeah, Sissy had adopted her because her sister yep. killed herself. So she took her in um, and they actually ended up moving into moving to New Jersey out of out of the neighborhood because yes. by this point, the neighborhood was starting to um, it was starting to get grown up. It was kind of being gentrified where you've got people like coming in to actually do legitimate business. Mm-hmm. And it was during this time period that it was officially renamed from Hell's Kitchen to Clinton. Yeah. So it's still Hell's Kitchen, but it's. You look at it on a map, and it shows up as Clinton. Yeah, I do actually have a uh, listener from Hell's Kitchen, and she was explaining to me just that exact fact. Yeah, she's like, yeah, it's definitely not how it was back in the 70s and 80s, and she used that exact word, gentrified. And it's probably a good thing it's not like it was back in the 70s and 80s. Well, she yeah. wouldn't be living there if it was. I'm I mean, pretty this, this is the same period in time where you couldn't walk through Times Time Square without getting fucking stabbed, you know? New York in the 70s and 80s was a war zone. Like, not like it is today where you can, you know, you can walk down through there and nobody's going to bug you. But That's true. now, it, no, back then, it was a fucking hellhole. Yeah, I mean, crazy shit. Yeah, yeah. they had moved, yeah, Edna had moved the whole family because to New Milford, New Jersey, which were, which was because where all, most of the um, old neighborhood actually had, yeah. had moved to. 
And plus those also because she wanted to get... We got to get the fuck out of here. We got all these good people <laughs> coming in and trying to do nice shit. Well, I think it was... Also... How are we going to do fucking crime when there's good people here? Son of a bitch. Well, it wasn't wasn't so much about that. It was mostly because she wanted to get away from Edna because Edna yeah. was pissing her off. Plus also because she wasn't being paid what she thought she'd be being yeah. paid. She was getting fucked. Like and, she... and Tommy Collins was paid her $100 a week um, who actually had owed... Mickey five thousand dollars from right. a loan, and she would get a thousand dollars every now and then from Muggy Ritters, um, which is because Dealing of coke. the coke business, yeah. and then one hundred fifty dollars a week from the neighborhood uh, bookmaking operation, which she got from Edna. Which before, when Mickey and Jimmy were went to prison, Jimmy basically said, "Hey, Mickey, I'm gonna take care of your wife yep. and your family. When you get be- out, I got fifty thousand dollars waiting for you." Because of everything we've been through, and that $50,000 is going to come up later on. And, well, Mickey's uh, sissy was not being taken care of. No. Like Mickey thought. Like, there there were certain people that that were still, like you were saying, there were certain people that were trying to help her out. They were doing the best they could, but Edna was not one of them. Um, And Mickey, you know, and. And Sissy had a conversation about, you know, all the money and she didn't really want to upset him, but because, you know, he was in a, in a good spot now. Yeah. And she didn't want to, you know, worry him too much. Yeah. I mean, at at this point in time, Mickey was, uh, he was bartending. Like he was actually trying to, he was trying to go straight. He was trying to make an actual living. Um, so in the fall of 1983, Mickey and Sissy were just kind of cruising around and they ended up in uh, Teaneck, New Jersey. And they see this house with a for sale sign on it. It was a raised. It was like a raised level colonial, nice looking little house. And they they both fell in love with it as soon as they drove by. Mm-hmm. So they get a hold of a uh, real estate agent. And they're like, you know, we're going to need five thousand dollars down for a down payment. The house is like, the house was like ninety two thousand dollars. So it was probably a good size house because I mean, my parents bought their house a couple of years after this. They paid fucking sixty two grand for it, and it's not a not a big house, but it's not small either. Um, but this is kind of where he sees the real side of Jimmy yeah. or he sees not maybe so much the side of Jimmy, but maybe Edna. how Edna is yeah. really. Because well, I think I think that's the first time that he actually realized that Jimmy and Edna, they're in it for themselves. Yeah. You know, and at the end of the day, like as long as they're taken care of, they don't care about anything else. Exactly. Yeah. Fuck everybody else. Pretty so, much. So he he talks to Sissy and talks to Sissy and finally just convinces her, let me talk to Jimmy this one last time, see if he can help us out. He said he had this all this money for me set aside. Actually, more like talk to Edna well, to yeah, see if he can talk to Jimmy. Exactly. So he ends up talking to Edna and she's like, well, I'll have to check with Jimmy, yada, yada, yada. And he's like, well, what about this 50 grand that was that's waiting for me? And she's like, oh, I don't know anything about that, this, that, the other. So he starts asking around some of the guys in the neighborhood, and uh, he finally ends up finding out that there's no money for him. And then he also finds out that uh, that Jimmy said no to letting him borrow money, but he doesn't find that out from Edna. He finds that out from some from one of the regular neighborhood guys. And this this really irked him because he's like this. She, he's like, she can't even fucking tell me no to my face. This is bullshit, you know. So. A few weeks later, Mickey and Sissy actually get an invitation to, uh, uh, I believe it was a, 
uh, an engagement party yes, for, for Jimmy Edna, and Edna's yep. oldest son, which was uh, which was going to be held at the Hazlitt, New Jersey Fire Department. Um, Sissy was like, I don't want to fucking go. No, like <laughs> they're, they're, she, she's trying to control our lives, you know, yada, yada, yada. But Jimmy's like, hey, I want to go yeah. because I haven't seen a lot of these people in a long time. Yeah, Mickey's like, I've been I want to catch up with everybody, you know, I've yeah, been in jail so for fucking four years. <laughs> let's be better than Edna and let's just go. So partway through the night, Edna approaches them and she's like, hey, I need to talk to Mickey alone. So they sit down at this table <laughs> and she tells him, she's like, hey, Jimmy's going to give you. Everything to do with the peers. We need you to kill some people for us. <laughs> we need you to take care of Bull Mayer, who had supposedly been like steaming open envelopes from the ILA that were addressed to Jimmy and kind of like getting all this information. Second was Billy Beatty because they they both wanted him dead just because he owed them money. And yeah, he, he ran out his time on his debts. Yeah. And the last one was Vinnie Leone, who was uh, actually like a kind of a, a business partner of Jimmy. The funny thing is with the whole thing with, with uh, Leon is he was actually sitting directly across the fucking table from them when she says this. But she said it low enough that he didn't hear it. Like, I couldn't imagine the balls on somebody to go, hey, this guy, I need you to fucking kill him. <laughs> and he's just, okay. And he like, he looks over and he's like, hey, what's going on, Vinny? How you doing? <laughs> Son of a bitch. <laughs> yeah. And the whole time, Mickey's just sitting there, just listening. Yeah. So he pretty much just politely declines. But this is where shit gets really fucking weird. Because later that night, I mean, well, uh, he, he, Edna does say to him, you know, Jimmy's told Mickey that mad, you'd you know? be disappointed. And Jimmy just, Mickey just simply shrugged. Yeah, he's like, ah, sorry. And that she add, adds after, it's going to get done whether he did it or someone yeah. else did it. And Mickey's reply to Edna was, that ain't my problem. Yeah. That's your problem. Yeah. <laughs> and then after, so then Edna leaves. As, as Kevin was saying. Yeah. But then later on. <laughs> this is fucking wild. She comes back. But not before Mickey and Sissy have a conversation. And Mickey tells Sissy what she says. Yeah. And Sissy, her reply was, that treacherous bitch. Yeah. Well, we got some more fun language from her. Oh, boy. Because after they the, go to an after party. The Featherstones drive out to the Coonan house for the this little after party for, like, the, the real close group of everybody. Earmuffs, and, kids. And Edna, again, comes up and is like, Mickey, I need to talk to you. So they go down into the basement, and she, again, is like, hey, seriously, I want you to I want you to consider doing this. It's a lot of money. It's good money. It'll help you out. He's like, no, I'm not doing it. So she has this little, like, glass bowl full of fucking matchbooks from all these different bars. And she's like, I've been collecting these since Jimmy's been away. I've been lonely, yada, yada, yada. And she's like rubbing up against the wall and stuff. She like bends over in front of him, and as all this shit's going on, but did she, but no, but did she lays on the couch, yeah, right? Like yeah. all per, like seductive, like trying to be sexy, but she looks like a fucking cow with lipstick and a red dress on. And as all this shit's going on, Sissy walks in and she's like, "What the fuck is going on here?" And Mickey's, Mickey tells her, he kind of like looks at her, and goes. I have no fucking clue what's going on here. It's I'm not involved. Grandma with any over of this. here is trying to show me her cotton candy. I ain't don't want none of it. <laughs> and and his reply is just the same old shit. Yeah. And sissy goes, listen, you fat cunt. You, you leave my <laughs> husband alone. 
you keep your fucking man away from my man. If I find out that Jimmy's even trying to talk Mickey back into working for him, I'm going to come out here and burn your fucking house down. Yeah. And she was like, <laughs> she was dead serious. But, yes. Badass but to continue, like, down the road, like, after their, after everything happens, like, after the, after Mickey goes to jail again and he flips, Sissy stayed with him through all mm-hmm. of this. She was a fucking badass. Like she turns into the basically the, the rider life bitch. Yeah. You know, she's I'm I'm with you to the end. Right. Like, if you are a single dude trying to find a chick, find a sissy featherstone because she's gonna be the one. Yeah. <laughs> no, oh yeah. Real, yeah. She like, basically I mean, because like, she's going mate, to for her you man. Know? You know? <laughs> it's like she's she's stepping up for him. She's saying you keep away from my man or I'm going to fucking kill you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and all of this awful shit that Mickey's doing, that all of this awful shit that he's going through, she's right there holding his hand through the whole fucking thing. Like, mm-hmm. that's, you, you can't beat that. So, I mean, what, a while passes and a few of the guys actually do come up, you know, dead. Yeah. And Billy doesn't come up dead. Right. You know, he's alive. And Jimmy is... You know, he's doing his thing. He's working, you know, trying to make ends meet. Mick, uh, Mickey. Uh, Mickey, I'm yeah. sorry. And at this point in time, he's working for um, uh, Erie Transfer, yes. which is uh, a garage which rents out, um, like, vans and moving trucks and shit like this for, like, movie companies. Because mm-hmm. at this point in time, they were doing a lot of TV and movies in New York. So he got the job through his brother, I believe. Yes, right? he got the job through his brother who actually got him the job through Jackie Coonan, who was kind of running that union. Mm-hmm. So it's still a fucking tangled web of everything. Um, Which is, this is the part where he kind of gets in, where this puts him in the hot hot seat because yeah. of the rented vehicle. Right. But the the guys that are going, are going around actually taking care of these hits are uh, Jimmy McElroy and a new kind of like, up-and-coming guy who is for all intents and purposes the next jimmy coonan like mm. if shit hadn't gone wrong he would have been the new boss and his name was kevin kelly and uh he like mickey kind of falls off the wagon and he starts starts drinking and doing fucking coke again and he ends up hooking back up with jimmy mack and kevin kelly yeah uh, I, i'll jump back a little bit because and everybody's thinking, okay, by this time, you know, Jimmy should be out of jail. Well, right. Jimmy was going to get out of jail. He was on parole. Then as soon as he got out and was in the halfway home, he got nap, uh, taken off the street again. And he goes back to jail for another 12 yeah. months for a what was it, a murder um, like previous years back. So he's like – Oh, it was the um... – uh, the the murder outside of the bar when he was a kid. So I guess we're gonna we're gonna fast forward to uh, April of 1985 with the murder of Michael Holly, and this is where pretty much the start of the end of the Westies takes place. Um, and and severely, I mean, between you know Featherstone and Coon, and that relationship is is absolutely gone. Yeah, you know, because of the consequences of of this murder, but um, but the only thing I don't know is why they wanted to kill Michael Holly. Uh, Billy Boken wanted to kill him because 
Michael Hawley had owned a bar back uh, uh, in the 70s at some point in time. And um, there was some kind of a scuffle between Billy's brother and another guy there. And Michael Hawley tried to break it up and he ended up shooting and killing Billy's brother accidentally. Okay. So it was it was he wanted payback. He wanted revenge yeah. for the guy that killed his brother. Okay. And this is right around the time where Mickey Featherstone, he's lost a lot of respect for uh, Jimmy Coonan, and Jimmy Coonan's t- telling him to kill Billy Beatty again. And the, you know he basically Mickey Featherstone is rallying up troops. Yeah, this, to this like go against wild, Jimmy like- Coonan. And it's just like, fuck, man. Like, when I started getting into the research of this part, I was just like, could you imagine, dude, one group of guys led by Mickey Featherstone and the <laughs> other one led by Jimmy Coonan both fighting in fucking Hell's Kitchen, New York? Like, that's that would be insane, man. Yeah. You don't want to live within a fucking mile of that place if that's going on. Mm-hmm. And the thing about Billy Boken, and what happens is, is in April of 1985, and I, I'm not 100% sure where, and um, I'm sure we can fill in the blanks here in a minute, but they come up with this plan. They don't want to kill Mickey Featherstone. I'm not sure if they didn't want to or they couldn't. I'm not 100% sure on that, but they're like, fuck it, let's frame him. Let's, yeah. let's fucking frame him for murder. So Coonan comes up with this plan with Billy Boken who he was about the same size as Mickey Featherstone, from yep. what I understand. But looking at pictures, he looks like a lot thicker. You yeah, know, if it's, he, had a, he had a big fucking birthmark. Yeah, on like a big couple, red like birthmark on the side face. of his face, yeah. And he had, yeah. uh, he had much darker hair than Mickey, who was uh, kind of like a sandy blonde. And uh, Boken had almost like, they. I think they said it was like brownish black, so it was real dark. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, and they, they rented a car. That was just like Mickey Featherstone's. Mm-hmm. They put makeup on Billy Boken to hide the birthmark. And then they put that tattoo on Billy Boken's arm. I think they drew it on. Yep. Or, yeah, they drew it on there. And, and it was a, Mickey It was Mickey Featherstone's tattoo on his and arm. And he wore a fake fucking mustache, too, because at yeah. this point, Mickey had like a big, thick mustache. So he, he put on a fake mustache. And the way he explained it, because... Uh, Sissy actually got a lot of it on tape because she mm-hmm. had, she had been talking to the the authorities, and they gave her a recording device that she put in her purse. And she was like, as she's standing there talking to him, she's like holding her purse like right in front of her, like right at her chest, because she had she knew yeah Billy from uh, uh like they when they were kids together, yeah. yeah. And she was like, well, what what the hell can I do? What can I do to to get Mickey out of jail? You know, to get him clear of this because I know he didn't do it. And he he legit confessed to her, I did it. They made me wear this fucking disguise. They made me wear this weird painter's cap. I he he usually wore makeup anyway to cover like when he was going out to do anything nefarious, I guess, because he didn't because that fucking giant birthmark is like a dead giveaway. Like I know who this guy is. And and Mickey kind of wouldn't wouldn't have actually got caught, but you know, because they what they shot the guy on the street. Yeah. Shot him on the street, and everybody, you know, kind of witnessed it. Some old lady and and Mickey actually probably if he had an alibi or actually gone to work, he wouldn't have been, you know, yeah, hooked mm-hmm. up with the crime. But he was he was so coked out and drunk and strung out that he had just he skipped work for like four days straight. So he called up his brother and was like, hey, you know, I need you to come pick me up and bring me in to get this to get the car. Um, 
because I had to you know, have done some work onto it or cleaned it up he, or whatever. He wanted to clean it because he dumped the soda yeah. in the passenger seat. He Before I bring it, it yeah. back. Yeah. And, you know, they go to get him. And then was, he was coming back, I believe it was. And the cops, you know, see him and they surround the they, car. They arrested him in front of Sissy and the kids right outside of Erie Transfer. And he basically just told, told her, he's like, stay in the car, keep the kids calm. I don't know what the hell's going on. I'll try to find out. And they arrested him essentially across the hood of the car in front of his family. Mm-hmm. And they bring him in and uh, they put him through a lineup. But the thing that was the biggest issue here was he had been in police custody for like three days. He'd been put through two lineups and he was set for a third one before they got a hold of his attorney, Aronson, to be mm-hmm. like, oh, hey, by the way, we arrested your client which I think they're supposed to do fairly quickly after they arrest somebody. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, had all these different witnesses come in to uh, to confirm who it was. And they said it was the weirdest thing because they put these people on the opposite side of the two-way class, so they're actually in the room with these guys, but they put fucking paper bags over their heads with less eye holes cut out of them. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm not making amazing. that up. <laughs> I know what I want to be for Halloween. So right. It's like some fucking like Zodiac bullshit. Yeah. Like, Again, it you know? feels like some Three Stooges stuff. Yeah. And they all like, no, oh, it was him. It was him. It was him. And they just keep picking Mickey out because Billy Boken had done such a good job of his makeup that he looked exactly like Mickey Featherstone. Mm-hmm. Like he put the fake mustache on. He fucking lightened it up with like peroxide, I guess, to make it look more blonde. Like he told Sissy to her face. I did a pretty good job on myself. That's why. Don't forget about the tattoo in the forum that has his name yeah. right there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Side note, why do you have your name tattooed on you? I have no idea. You get that drunk, you're like, what's your name? <laughs> it's right there. Yeah. Put, drunk. It in, put it in my tab. <laughs> put it in your arm, you know. Um, so Mickey ends up spending like five or six months in prison for this. Ugh. Yeah. He got 25 years. Yeah. Like they, yeah. they sentenced him. Like it was like fucking in and out. It was like a two day trial. And they're like, yep. ship and, his ass. And up this the river. is where, you know, Mickey loses all trust in his lawyers. Mm-hmm. And it's like, these fucking guys screwed me. Yeah. You know, yeah. they didn't do their fucking job. You know, this is bullshit. And this is like this is the irony that I was talking about earlier out of all the murders that this dude did that he actually went to court for. And that's just what he went to court for and got acquitted of. He gets fucking convicted for 25 years of the one fucking murder that he didn't do. Yeah. Well, what I find interesting, too, is that he was so upfront about everything he's ever done for the most part. Mm -hmm. And this is the one where he's denying every ounce and every bit of it. And it's just like they don't believe him. And it's like normally he's like, yeah, I did it. Yeah, yeah. I was yeah. there. Yeah, I know. And the, the other thing was is right after the, the trial got over with, um, Aronson was actually at Billy Boken's wedding, who he married Tommy Collins's niece, I believe. And he told Aronson before the, the wedding, he's like, I feel fucking awful, like. I should be the one in prison. I killed that guy, not Mickey. He told his fucking lawyer, <laughs> I killed him, not him. And nothing was done. He yeah. didn't go to the police and say, hey, you know. It's like, why didn't you fucking say something a week ago? Because but I think it's also there's that Bill, lawyer, Bill, lawyer uh, confidentiality. Yeah. confidentiality clause. But Billy Boken had actually had a chance to talk to Mickey and he goes, 
I got an idea. What I'll do is I'll walk right through the front door of the courtroom in that disguise during your trial and say, here's your guy. <laughs> and he was legit going to do it. And he just, he got cold feet and didn't. So Mickey went, ended up going to jail for five I'd or six so months. Pissed. I'd be so pissed. Right. You're going to own up to it. You can do the right thing. And all of a sudden you don't, it'd be like, you're fucking dead. So this is when Mick, uh, Sissy just kind of was like, all right, listen, I got to get my man out. Yeah. You know, I got to do yeah. anything I ha- have to, to do to get through this, to get it done. Well, and she's struggling too, you know, they're not really helping her out the way no. that the f- quote unquote friendship was supposed to, you know, you know, it's like, hey, you know, if I get in trouble, take care of the wife and kids for me, you know, until I get out or whatever the case is. And I mean, Mickey Featherstone. I mean, let alone he's pissed off. He he got convicted of a fucking murder that he didn't commit. He yeah. was set up by his supposed friends because he starts figuring this shit out. He's not dumb, you know. And um, sissy man, I tell you what, for lack of a better term, the balls on this chick, man. Yeah, she like she the fucking mattresses, man. Like legally, yeah. You know, she she gets you know she basically goes to the authorities. She's like, listen, like my husband didn't do this what can i do to try to help him and they're like well you have to get a recording of somebody else admitting to the murder and so this, and this is where she got uh billy Boken talking about it she had yeah uh jimmy mcelroy and kevin kelly were making weekly visits to pay her and, and she got their confession at her home yeah sitting in the kitchen you know she's like oh you know, plops the thing recorder in the, her purse and she gets the uh, you know Hey, you know, we set them up and she ends up actually getting to use all of this against all of these guys. And it actually ends up in the long run. It clears Mickey's name for the most part. Yeah. You know, and mm-hmm. uh, which kind of makes you feel good for it. But in the end, yeah. it's like, again, he's a convicted killer or he is a killer that has done some terrible shit. So it's like, should I feel bad for him? You know, I really don't I, know. I'm, I'm not going to lie to you as I finish listening to the book. With everything that the author wrote about him, the my last thought that I had when they get to all of this, like after, you know, like after they go into Wet Pro and all this stuff, the only thing I could think when they're talking about, like, oh, he hasn't reoffended, he's been a you know decent person, he's he hasn't had so much as a fucking traffic ticket, and the only thing I could think of, good for you, man. You know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like a shit bag for saying that, but it's like yeah. good for you. You know, you yeah. turned your shit around, but. You know, again, um, he's done some terrible shit, but right. that's happened before with other people like, man, you used to watch the show Gangland. There would always yeah. be like, the old, you know, gangbangers or people that were in a gang that decided it's time to turn around and be a better person. What was it like this guy? How was it? Uh, I think he either escaped from prison. I, I don't know if it was Alcatraz or, or somewhere like that. He escaped from prison and lived a normal guess. life. You know, changed his name, everything. And then, like, what was it? He got um, something happened. He took a test. Somebody did a test or whatever it was. And turns out, you know, he's he's this guy. And they're like, oh, well, arrest his ass. And they're, uh, his, like, all his neighbors and everything were like, wow, really? No way. He was such a great old guy, like 86 <laughs> years old. You know, never got a speeding ticket. And did yeah, any of this weird shit. shit like that happens all the time, though. Yeah, there's uh, I know two guys. One's a blood, one's a crypt that lives up here. They 
separately they came up to vermont one their fan like his uh his wife's family is from up here so they came up here he wanted to get out of the city because he was sick of being in that lifestyle right the other one left because he knew he was marked for death whatever so he came up here their kids are in the same class together and they actually talk to each other and i was like i met him through when i worked at a car rental company and like you start seeing the you know certain tattoos that like point to that direction yeah. and i was talking about it. he goes yeah man he's like this place is pretty nice it's pretty quiet up here and he wouldn't believe it that one of my closest friends is from a gang that i used to fight with i'm like really he goes yeah it's amazing what happens when your kids are in the same class and i'm like you guys crazy. ever say anything he's like nope it stays dead between us we talk about shit but we don't let anybody else know like what really happened so yeah i mean the uh the westies over here they start kind of putting two and two together after sissy gathers this information they, they go over to her house to uh drop off some payments and everybody's gone <laughs> yeah her and the kids are gone shit's gone so uh so yeah in uh september after they gathered after they did gather that evidence in september of 86 judge alvin uh schlesinger uh, he overturned mickey's verdict and I mean, what was it? I think he, um, Giuliani got him, Rudolph Giuliani, who was yeah. mayor of New York at one time. and Or not, yeah, he was mayor of New he York, but before then he was a high-profile DA, yeah. Yep. yeah. Well, he, he started going after him with the RICO Act. And uh, Featherstone ended up testifying in court for a little bit over a month, I think, and uh, from September of 87. And... I mean, basically, he, they got Coonan for uh, racketeering. I do know that. Mm -hmm. uh, what else was there? Racketeering. Well, let's go back to Mickey, I guess, real quick, not to get all scatterbrained here. Um, <laughs> it's hard. It's hard not to with this one, though. It's it really it's so is fucking moving parts, and it's yeah. like it's hard to keep track of it all. Yeah. So, in turn, basically, they told Featherstone they're like, okay. Tell us every fucking thing you've done in the last 20 years with these guys. So <laughs> Featherstone start? starts fucking talking, man. Yeah. And uh, he, in return, he said, you know, I want this murder conviction fucking wiped clean. And, of course, you know, going to the witness protection, he and Featherstone and, in, in, uh, you know, part of his deal was the – I think it was a five-year suspended sentence, like a five-years probation – for basically just outing, you know, Jimmy Coonan. I mean, most of it was racketeering, murder charges, and uh, I think there was a, yeah, I, I think they had extortion in there too. Okay, yeah, but I mean, and then uh, kind of hand in hand. Yeah, they yeah, kind of yeah. I suppose they do. Um, Featherstone ended up getting freed in December of '88 and went directly into the witness protection program with his family. His whereabouts are still unknown. So, if uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but Jimmy Coonan got sentenced to what 75 years in prison? Yes, which the judge told him you will spend the rest of your natural life in prison. Well, technically, but he's gonna be getting out and in... he's eligible for parole. Yeah. He's he coming up in like what 2026 or something yeah. like that. Will isn't he it? 2030. Will he get it? I doubt it. Well, he'll I be highly doubt it. 
He's gonna be an old man. I mean, have you Charles seen a Manson picture of him though? Old. He was old. Sure. If you look at a picture of Jimmy Coonan right now and a picture of Whitey Bulger before he dies, they look the yeah, fucking dude, same. Dude, they Holy look shit, exactly they look the fucking same, man. Because I kept, yeah. I, I, I kept looking up pictures. I'm like, all right, where's this guy in prison at? Like, maybe I want to write him a letter, you know? <laughs> and I looked at this picture. I'm like, why the fuck do they have Whitey Bulger's picture on Jimmy Coonan? And I looked at the they, eyes. Yeah, they do like, look could, really similar, though. They you're, do, you're onto man. Something there. <laughs> and I looked at the eyes and I'm like, God damn, that is Jimmy Coonan. <laughs> but um, but yeah, I mean, basically, I think Coonan's fucking ego and greed, man. I yeah. think if and I don't know, you Edna know. goes to jail too. Edna ends up with like, oh yeah, she does. To like 15 years, I think she only yeah. served like 10 of it or something like that. Um, the, and the the judge actually had a a handwritten note from their youngest son who's like, please don't send my mother to prison, and he's just like. Hmm, that's cute. Fuck you. Get out of here. <laughs> yeah. And dude, uh, I was looking up some of his Jimmy Coonan's kids. Uh, one of his daughters, man, I, uh, was a fucking badass uh, college athlete. Yeah, I, softball. And I, yeah, I think softball. She, I think she went into like criminal forensics or criminal yes, psychology dude. or some shit like yes. that. Yes, that was the best. that was the other that, good part about that's it. Like, awesome. She totally went like the opposite fucking route, you know, and. Oh, man. And at, at the end of the book, um, TJ English kind of goes into, you know, like you're saying, like Mickey Featherstone and his family are in witness protection. We don't nobody knows where they are. But he's like, I've been in contact with him through a third party a few times. That's awesome. And uh, Sissy is running her own business. Mickey's working with her. Um, their two oldest sons. One is well, this this was as of 2006 when the book was was republished, kind of. As of 2006, his two oldest sons were both in the army. One was stationed in Kuwait. The other was in Iraq. Uh, Their youngest daughter was uh, their middle daughter had graduated from college with a master's in business. And their youngest daughter was in college on a fucking athletic scholarship. So it's like the thing with the military. It's they're going to know everything. Right. They're going to from soup to nuts. They know that, you know, your dad was Mickey Featherstone. (laughs) <laughs> Your real name is not, you know, blah, blah, blah. But are they going to divulge that to anybody? No, they're oh, not. No, because, hell no. I mean, they won't, you know, if, as long as they kept their nose clean, you know, yeah. they'll still get in. They're not going to, you know. The, the kids are guilty of nothing. Yeah. They never did anything wrong. They, you can't be convicted for having, you know. Parents that are assholes. A fucking criminal as a parent. It's not yeah, your fault, yeah, yeah. you know. I think, I think the military standpoint, I think one of their biggest concerns would be Mickey's psychiatric conditions you know what i mean some right. of his mental health aspects because some of the times that you know i'm no fucking psychologist okay but yeah. you know sometimes you know if your fucking old man is a crazy fucking murderer mm-hmm. you know i'm not saying it's hereditary but he was mickey was also a fucking schizophrenic yeah you know and and it's like okay you know, what are these two guys going to be like after about 10 fucking years in the military? Are they going to come in here and shoot this place up? You know, like, I what mean, the fuck are they going to do? And if you look at both sides of the family, like, Sissy's family had a lot of mental health issues going through it, too. Mm-hmm. And, like, drug abuse and all that. Like, oh, these, yeah, lots these of kids suicide. These kids could have just as easily turned out to be fucked, like, right off the bat and been criminals themselves. But it seems like they've kept their, their shit together. And mm-hmm. I, like, like I was saying before, like, from what the author of the book was saying, like 
Mickey hasn't had so much as a speeding ticket since he's gone into witness protection. Like mm-hmm. he's kept his nose clean. He's told him told him more than once. He's like, I have no urge to reoffend. And the way that TJ English justified that is because none of Mickey's crimes were motivated by money or personal gain. They were all motivated by loyalty and a sense of wanting to get revenge for somebody who has wronged you in the past. So his were all emotionally mm-hmm. connected. Like there was, he wasn't going out and killing somebody for 500 bucks. He was yeah. going out and killing somebody because he fucked him over and got somebody hurt. Yeah, you know, now what they're probably, they're in their what? Sixties, maybe somewhere 70s. in there. Yeah. 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 They'd be in there. Yeah. Something close to that. It's I mean, super interesting though, just because I find Mickey really interesting and, I think one of the main reasons is is because, like you see towards the end, like he does try to walk away from that. He tries yeah. to go straight and ends up getting, you know, like kind of dragged back in. But I think he was just I think if he would have had the right motivation, you know, like what, you know, eventually happened, I think he would have gone straight. Like if he would have been able to leave Hell's Kitchen, I think he would have been just fine elsewhere, you know, and I, I found myself. <laughs> The last few chapters of the book, I find myself very sympathetic towards him just being like, you kind of feel for the guy because he's been fucked around his whole life. And then mm-hmm. when he finally gets everything the way it should be going, you just, you just you know, good for you. Yeah. You know, and he and he kind of sticks to his um, to his guns and says, you know, hey, this time around when I get out, I'm going to stay on the, you know, the clear path. Mm-hmm. I'm going to straight and narrow. And. He got what was it? Uh, one point he actually had been brought into um, the offices of uh, one of the Teamster unions, and one of the guys like, you know, "Hey, um, I'm going to give you all this money," you know, and uh, yeah, the, uh, this, uh, Vinny the, the, Leone. Yeah, yeah. Leone's like, "Hey, the, the docks or whatever, they're going to be yours to run," you know, and you're going to get this amount of money. And fit, you know, Jim McKee's like, "I don't screw want that. Yeah. I don't want it." You know, like, are you sure? And he tried to like stuff money in his pocket, and he's like, "No, no, no! Here you go." Yeah, he's like, "Oh, come on, you know, here." M- Mickey definitely had a code, and it was not anything to do with money. No, he was no. he's he was a loyal dude, and if you helped him, you had a friend for life. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and like like I said, I I feel bad for him because he got fucked around so badly, and at the same time, you can kind of go, you know, if he's out there listening to this. Good for you. Good for you for turning your shit around and raising a normal, successful fucking family. Oh, my God. Yeah. And like having a wife that is willing to go to bat for you like she did. And like, you better still be with her. Oh, they know what I'm saying. Like, what thing said, they are still like very happily married. Like, they went through some, um, they went through like therapy, like kind of like couples counseling a little bit, but that was mostly to, try to get their shit all squared away after they went into witness protection. Like, Oh, that would they, be, a, and that would change. That would be such a change, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, I couldn't imagine being like, okay, well you're fucking John Smith now. Yeah. Run with it. Like mm-hmm. what? what? <laughs> and, 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 and you got this super thick New York accent. Yeah. And you're, and you're living like in Nebraska or, or something. Yeah. <laughs> because they, they said that he is not, allowed to come anywhere into like 
the northeastern corner of the United States <laughs> yeah, for his own dude. safety. Yeah. The, the, gov- the, yeah. the government won't allow him up this way because they're like, if you go up there, somebody's going to recognize you. And there's a good chance you're going to get fucking killed. Mm-hmm. Sense when you think yeah. about it. Because I mean, Billy Beatty's still in, too, it. witness protection, isn't he? What's that? Billy Beatty's still in witness protection, uh, too. I don't know he? about that. Did he come out? Saw, there was, like, certain videos, like, two different videos that had him in it. And okay. he's he's kind of a... I don't know. Did you watch the one video where he's where he's wearing the fake beard? The, yeah, yeah, the fake <laughs> mustache too. And you're just like, dude, you look. Yeah, and dude, he, it was he so contradicts great. himself in in you know each of them. He says, he does, yep. Then, but then he says a totally different one, something else in a, in a different. I'm like, what the hell? You're so unbelievable. Fuck you. you know, yeah. <laughs> but Jimmy, I mean, that poor fucker gets goes to get out of jail. He's probably at the point almost out of jail, and then he's like, "No, no, no! Pull the rug out. You're you're gonna stay in jail the rest of your life." Mm-hmm. Sorry. Yeah. yeah, pretty much. And I mean, and, and there's there's been so many people, like so many criminals that have gone into witness protection, that as soon as they got relocated, they just started fucking off again. Um, like Henry Hill. Oh, dude, the, fucking the guy, uh, uh, Sammy the Bull, man. <laughs> Look what. Look at this. <laughs> he mentions both of those guys where it's like Henry Hill got got busted again for uh, I think it was a murder for hire scheme or something. Oh, yeah. And, and he was Henry Hill, man. When he went into wit went protection, he was having a lot of fucking problems with alcohol, man. Yeah, a it was lot. like alcohol and cocaine, right? Yeah, dude. Yeah, because yeah. he was like coke to the fucking the max, oh, yeah. like during most of his time towards the end. I watched one interview with him where he was sitting down and he straight up could not sit there for more than 10 minutes without taking a swig of his fucking liquor. Like he asked the guy who was interviewing him, he's like, listen, can I drink? And the guy's <laughs> like, well, yeah. And he's like, okay, because if you're going to tell me I, I wasn't allowed to drink, he's like, I wasn't going to do this interview. And he I, I grabs the bottle of liquor, dude, and just takes a big swig. Puts it down. He's like, "All right, ask me whatever you want to ask me." <laughs> it's again, like, recording podcasts like that, yeah. where we just been like, "Okay, we need this." But again, yeah. a, another like Trailer Park Boys moment pops in where they're in court. If I can't swear and smoke, I'm fucked. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> but like, yeah, yeah, man. This, this, I had a lot of fun doing this. It was a yeah, okay. In, in closing, work, but... like, uh, in closing, I, I do like asking like some of my co-hosts like, now that we've done this huge fucking crazy series like obviously you guys know my opinion of you and like i wanted you guys to do this episode with me to like because i your your podcast is one of the very few that i that i listen to on a regular basis so for all you people out there who have never heard dark windows like yeah there's a little bit more banter on their end and blah 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 because i'm weird about editing and i like getting straight to the point but (laughs) <laughs> the thing about it is, is, dude, these guys do awesome. They have awesome content, all kinds of shit. Like, if you like how my content's just all over the place, they do the exact same thing. And their research is, is fucking phenomenal, too. So that's why I wanted you guys to do it. So what did you think, like, a- after you did all this and, and blah, blah, blah? Like, what's your opinion of, you know, Mickey Featherstone and Jimmy Coonan, man? Um. <laughs> they're both fucking bad guys but <laughs> but mickey featherstone had the balls to 
Oh, I hate saying had the had the balls to turn on his best friend, but he had the balls to do the right thing after long enough, and to help protect his family. Agreed. You know, and and then to completely change his life to go, I'm done with that bullshit. It's behind me. Let's move forward. And I mean, fucking Jimmy Coonan, I think if he was out of prison, he'd still be trying to do the same bullshit in an old folks home. He'd be trying to fucking swindle people out of their pudding and oh, fucking yeah. brain pills and shit, you know? Yeah. It's like, I can get these for X amount of bucks on the street. Give me your yeah. pills, woman. <laughs> yeah. Or I mean, been doing work, you know, still, still running the streets. Yeah, at least trying to. So what what did you think, Seth? Honestly, I thought it was interesting, but I think for me the part that's getting me the most was if Kunin didn't decide to go with the Italians and stick to being in-house with the Irish, probably none of this would have happened. That's what I'm if thinking. If you really think good. about it because when he decided to jump ship and join forces with the Italians, which every Irish in Hell's Kitchen was against. Yeah, for generations. The 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 actual domino effect probably would have happened. It may have in some cases, but he wouldn't have lost as much or as many people as he would have. And he probably would have still maintained power. And it would have been a different circumstance to have that breakup. But I also find it, it like fascinating that... Someone who is diehard, you know, loyal to Coonan, uh, you know, Mickey, that the biggest thing that took was the loyalty be broken to him that all of a sudden he's like, fuck this, I'm done. Because that's all he was about was be loyal to me, we're being loyal. And it was all over one incident where he met Coonan and got a pistol. And he's like, I like you. And then fast forward, it was... Because he didn't want to do this, he didn't want to do that, and he didn't like the way things were going, that Kunin's like, well, I can't trust you anymore. And that for Kunin, the loyalty was broken, even though Mickey was still being loyal as he felt he was possible. Now, so it was just fascinating to me that they were both su- like supremely loyal, but then it took few instances of one wanted to become bigger and stronger, more powerful, and wanted to be something more than he should have been, and the other one wanted to stay stagnant in what it was. But also staying the loyal dog. Now, can can I ask you guys a question, all three of you? Sure. <clears throat> Seth just made me think about it. If Jimmy hadn't branched off and started working with the Italians, how bad would that war have been between the Gambino family oh, man. and the Westies? In all honesty, I think the Gambino family would have wiped him out. They but it would have. have. Oh yeah. Due to the fact of the Italian like influence was a lot more spread out than the Westies in their one little area, but they didn't because they didn't branch out as much as you think. Right. But... I will say, I will say the one thing that I, th- I think would have helped the Irish if they would have gone to war, you know, per se with the Gambinos is the fact that they didn't have the same rules as the Italian, as the Italian mob. Right. You know, another thing that I thought was interesting to, to counter, Seth here a little bit at one point in the book, at one point in time, Jimmy Coonan had actually been having meetings with a guy out of Boston who was one of, uh, uh, Whitey Bulger's like biggest competitors. And they were actually trying to work together and it just never went through. So I think that's one of those things where if they hadn't started working with the Italians and they went to war with them, he, I think he would have gone out of town 
to bring in some other people to help out. Yeah, but that still would have would have happened with the Italians, and they have more branches everywhere else. That's true. They would also bring from the motherland and be like, "Hey, come over from Sicily, come over from Rome, come over from everywhere in Italy. We need your help." Because they've done it. Tell you what, if you guys aren't familiar with uh, Danny Green out of Cleveland, um, he's going to be an upcoming episode. I have somebody doing research for it right now. But uh, Danny Green, that's how they killed him, man. The uh, the mob in Cleveland there couldn't fucking kill him. They tried, I think, uh, six or eight times to fucking kill this guy. And he fucking, like, they blew up his fucking house while he was in, in it with his girlfriend. And really? they literally fell through the floor. And the refrigerator landed on him and his girlfriend in such a fucking way that the whole house, like, crumbled around him. So, like, he... Holy shit. That's some Indiana yeah. Jones shit. No, dude, he uh, he straight up was like he was on the fucking evening news in Cleveland and he would say shit like they know where I'm at. They can come kill me anytime. I got the look of the Irish. He's like, they know where to find me, blah, blah, blah. And he would sit out in front of his fucking house on lawn chairs with like three of his dudes just sitting there waiting. But Danny Green was like one of these dudes every single morning at like 6 a.m. He'd go run five miles. He'd do like 200 fucking push-ups. Jesus like he was Christ. a tough motherfucker, right? It's like, I and can't I tell mean, if, if that's ballsy or stupid, you know? Oh, dude, he one of the times he was jogging, uh, they tried to fucking uh, kill him. And this dude unloaded an entire pistol and missed him every time. And Danny Green, <laughs> as he was falling, fucking shot him. And fucking got him right between the fucking eyes and the Jesus head. Christ. And he That's was just some like. Some bullshit, some John Wick shit. <laughs> he's got a horseshoe up his ass. Crazy. And he straight up well, said, like, there were witnesses to verify it was in self-defense. And even the witnesses corroborated. They're like, no, man, he just threw the pistol up and pulled the trigger. <laughs> he's like fucking shot the guy. So, um, but anyway, that's what they did with him. They They couldn't kill him in Cleveland because he was such a big name guy and he fucking dude he was the luckiest dude on the planet but they they ended up bringing in guys from i believe new york or chicago i think it was new york because they were like we can't even fucking deal with this guy anymore you know it's like bring in the dudes from over here because well in that way too the guys from over in new york aren't going to be identified as easily as some of the guys around cleveland you know that's crazy yeah i i almost i i i think that with the whole Italians, I think they, I don't know, they probably wouldn't, maybe not have gone to war. You know, they would have just done little small things to try to push them out. Yeah, because they, they kind of had, like, that you council, know? like, the five families had to, like, yeah. agree on shit, you know. I and, mean, you could do little things. things the to... Westies didn't have to do. Yeah. They were fucking cowboys. They'd just ride into fucking Brooklyn, just <laughs> fucking pistols blazing. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. but sometimes yeah. you need that unity and that That's working true. together That's to true. have a common goal because otherwise the Westies will just start infighting. Yep. And, I mean, the Italians had shown it. Italians, Italians had, had infighting, though, too. Yeah, you know, constantly. But, I mean, look at fucking. Gotti was like the biggest proponent. Oh, look at eighty-five. Uh, yeah, when Costa, when Gotti fucking killed, had Castellano fucking yeah. killed. You know what I mean? I mean, dude, that was right out in front of a fucking restaurant, like a week before Christmas. And like, I know who who killed him. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I got the right there. I got fucking pictures in it, man. It was dude. Rich, it's wild. He was a fucking monster. Like, yeah. oh, dude. Yeah. Jesus Christ! Like it was a fucking bloodbath. I mean, but yeah. the but the Italians, I mean, they, they had they were hooked up. You know, they had uh, judges. Yeah, they, you know, they have a lot of people in their pocket. 
Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, they can manipulate things to working in their favor. Yeah. So, you know, you, they didn't need the Irish. They no. just chose to, to keep them around because it would make things easier. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, I, I wouldn't doubt, though, that some of the Irish viewed the or some of the some of the Italian mafia viewed the Irish like like I said, rules like, but, you know, Italian mafia, you're not allowed to kill anybody that's not in you know, the, the organization or like associated with it. So like family members are off limits. Press is off limits. Cops are off limits. Dude, the Irish didn't give a fuck. So I think some of these Italian mobsters too realize that it's like, man, if I take out Jimmy Coonan, Mickey Featherstone's going to kill my whole goddamn family, you know, and probably my whole bloodline. Yeah. You know, I think he'll I don't kill the say entire that fucking block to make sure he gets the right person. Exactly. And I don't think that like deterred him, but I don't think the uh, the Italian mob was oblivious to that fact that the, that the Irish would do something like that. Yeah, I'm going to have to watch this movie without that guy to kill the Irishman because. Oh, yeah, yeah. Christopher yeah, no, that's actually a pretty factual movie. It's a pretty factual movie. It's really interesting. Yeah, there's a couple good uh, documentaries uh, as well. But uh, you know, with the whole with this whole uh, um, series, I kind of you know I, I kind of grew to grew to like Mickey Featherstone, you know, and I I kind of felt that uh, Jimmy was just an asshole. He was know, from, he was a very manipulative. Yeah, yeah, very you know it was, it was a dick. And, oh yeah, but he used his dickish manner to get what he wanted, and. Yeah. You know, he held the uh, the Hell's Kitchen area in, uh, you know, in, a, in his firm grasp. Basically, you know, hey, you're going to do what I fucking want, and that's it. He, he did it the same way that Mickey Spillane did, but the complete opposite, where Mickey yes. Spillane did it where people respected him mm-hmm. because he had earned their respect for Thanks. the most part. Mm-hmm. And Mickey Jimmy did it. Coonan yeah. was Jimmy. just like, no, you're going to fucking respect me out of fear. Exactly. Fear was fear was his his motivator. Yeah. You know, because he thought see that, you know, hey, they fear me. So guess what? They're going to not talk and do what I want. Mm -hmm. And, you know, which meant that when he went to prison, they were still going to pay. And so he didn't have to worry about his wife not being able to collect the money. You know, Mm -hmm. and uh, it just, you know. One of those things, and I kind of uh, applaud, you know, Mickey for being able to break the trend yeah. and, you know, t- uh, cut those ties and walk away. But I, I think we can probably all agree the big MVP here is fucking Sissy Featherstone. <laughs> fucking for real, dude. Yeah. A hundred. Yeah, I, I agree. That's a, that's a badass check right there. Damn right. You know, yep. to, to rise above what she started off at. Yeah, to you know, to gain in in stature and then then you know be like you're not fucking my family. I'm not is, losing everything. The thing is, though, like they never really got up to that same level as Jimmy and Edna did. They weren't even fucking close. They were like down here where Jimmy and Edna are up here, and she's just like, "Bitch, I'll kill you." <laughs> yeah, but she wasn't there. They weren't there in equal for as far as money goes. They weren't equal in anything. But well, Edna was the fucking queen. 
Yes, but you know? when people wanted stuff done, who do they go to? Mickey. You know, I mean, they they it, talking to different people. But who I do they go to? That was Mickey. that was also the trust thing where people were starting to not trust Jimmy because he was working with the Italians so much. Do you think Edna would have done if like roles are switched? Do you think Edna would have done that for Jimmy? Like fought and like did all this extra shit, or do you think she would have cut and run? I she, now she, by that I mean if Mickey and Sissy were top of the food chain, mm-hmm. having multiple houses, do you think Edna would have fought for her man as much as Sissy fought for hers? No, because she didn't. Because when Jimmy got sentenced, exactly, she fucking divorced his ass and left. Exactly, <laughs> and Sissy took the kids gone. And... Because Sissy knew that this is the first time she had a real relationship. Mickey knew this is the first time I have somebody that's a ride or die. Yeah. And that's a, that, you know, that changes somebody when you know you have somebody that you can trust explicitly with everything going on and knowing that they got your back. And also, you guys have been through some crazy shit. Mm-hmm. The other one is all about power and money. Like, yeah. you don't really throw around the word love. You don't really throw around that, you know, we're happy. It's more of, it was a business we're, partnership. We're doing this for the money. We're doing this. Yeah, we have kids, but let's be honest. We're really doing this for the money and the mm-hmm. power so we yeah. can walk down the street. No, no one's ain't going to touch us. And, and I think if roles were reversed, uh, Mickey and Sissy would not have made Edna suffer. No, no. They would have, she, he would have been like, okay, you know, you're, you're the boss's wife. I'm going to get you that money. I'm going to, yeah. you're going to be comfortable. You're going to have all this. It's you because know, or... Mickey Featherstone wasn't a complete piece of shit. Like Jimmy Coonan was. And that's what's about <laughs> that loyalty. If Jimmy Coonan didn't break the loyalty, who knows? Maybe none of this would have happened. Yeah, it's true. Maybe like, no. if you never framed him for that murder and just left it alone, probably we wouldn't even have this episode yeah. today. We would just be talking about the insanity of the Westies as a whole, not See, this one specific event. I think if he had just let Mickey go straight, we would be talking about Jimmy Coonan. Yeah, that's, because, how, yeah. that's what I'm saying. Yeah, because if he had just let Mickey fucking, okay, see you later. Go do your thing. Now, do you think that uh, if Jimmy had got out, he would have been, you know, gone off and did more things, then gone back into jail. I think so. I think the first thing he would have done is he would have killed Mickey. Just flat out, like, walked up to him on the street and shot him in the fucking head. Or would have had somebody else do it, like, hey, man, let's go get, grab a drink and I, then take I him I think out. at that point in time, he would have done it himself. But, yeah. Because that's, that's very personal. He would have been like, no, fuck you. You're mine. Jimmy would definitely have gone back to doing it. because, Or he would have had his little crony kevin kelly do it because that's he was the saying. next up and coming that's yeah. what i'm saying is that he would have somebody like that but also you want to prove yourself you you take care of him jimmy is a narcissistic son of a bitch so he will have no problems wanting to go back for that power mm-hmm. well he's we, showing it with everything he's ever done and he would he would have been the guy that would have had him killed and showed up to the funeral oh sissy sorry for your loss here's some money if you ever need anything you call me we'll take care of you and then as and he walks out he'd be like don't ever answer she that never phone. would have fucking heard from him again yeah and you know the first one he would—I mean, Beatty would have been the first one dead. Oh yeah, because yeah. you know, because what Edna went to him to have him do the murders, and mm-hmm. he was like, "Fuck no, I'm not killing those guys." <laughs> no, I don't think so. Yeah, you know, and she was trying to put the moves on him, so you don't know what you know because Jimmy wanted him killed. Well, it was probably part of the reason because you know Edna was like, he came on to me, and yeah. you know he did all this and that, and you know, the entire time Billy's just gone. No, I'm not. He's like, no, I'm not gonna. You're fucking gross. <laughs> I tried that. I did that once. You know, tried it once. One again. Yeah, <laughs> I gave it one star. Yeah, but that's awesome. I honestly think that Jimmy would have had that whole little core group 
once he found out about the the coup against him, mm-hmm. those guys never would have fucking seen again. Oh, probably. Yeah, I agree. Poof, gone. And he would have gained you know, gained even higher stature in the Gambino family. He, he yeah, the yeah, exactly. You know, I agree. I mean, he he can't be a made man because he's not no. Italian. But true, he would have been, been close. As he, he been a close be. associate. Yep, yeah. he would have been a top pet. Yeah, until he figured out that he was just being played. I don't think he cared that he was getting played because he was still making money. Yeah, <laughs> I think that too. He knew what was going on, you know, he's, he wasn't a stupid guy, but, you know, that, and it's really weird because when you go back to when they started dismembering bodies, um, some of the guys who couldn't stomach the act of actually dismembering the bodies were at, were viewed a little bit differently than mm-hmm. the guys who could. Yeah. And uh, Mickey Featherstone was one of those guys. He vomited, you know, one of the first times he tried to dismember a body, so, like, you know, Jimmy Coonan and some of the other dudes, you know, kind of, you know, made fun of him and whatever else, you know, but he was always viewed a little bit differently, I think. And uh, BD was another one of those guys where he's just like, I don't have the stomach for any of this stuff. You guys take care of whatever. I'm not I'm not cutting anybody yeah. up. But Mickey was also that, you know, different breed where they're like, you know, well, we'll fuck with them a little bit, but we're not going to mess with them entirely. Yeah, because. We don't want to be dead ourselves. You don't. You don't know how <laughs> exactly. far you can push him. Yeah, it's like he's fucking nuts. <laughs> Legitimately, like yes. certifiably. Well, like, like I said uh, on the first episode, Mickey is legally nuts. <laughs> True. Know? He hasn't taken his happy pills in the wild. Yeah. <laughs> Who has? Hell yeah. So, uh, Seth, why don't you plug your hobby holders before we go, man? <laughs> you just did no no I, no you, you know that you're you, good. you always have some fancy wording that you like you, you're seriously the the expert of transition into an advertisement Dude, like he watches so much he, he grew up watching so much pro wrestling he's a fucking promo machine <laughs> so now go ahead yeah right. tell us about it well how about this if you have any you know gang kind of miniatures like say from carnival or anything else like that you can always head on over to GameEnvy.net. They actually have tools for your painting of those miniatures. That way, when you get in that pinstripe suit looking fly, or you want to get those guns looking good and you get that gun blue just right, man, we got you. Also, if you want to do blood splatter, they got that because they got delicious new paintbrushes. And also some other amazing tools that I said at the top of the show. Put in that promo code BROADSTONE at checkout, and you'll save yourself 10% off the entire order. Boom. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> I love how you threw in the pinstripe and blood splatter, too. <laughs> hey, man, there's also dismembering body models that you can make, so then you get all that cut-up detail. What? Even better. I want to know, is there models, like, I want some, like, Cuban gangsters in Hawaiian shirts. <laughs> Actually, there is. Yes. Yeah. If you that have, is awesome. Uh, if you go to Spectre Miniatures. Yeah, you got your cartel guys. I remember yep. them. Yeah, we were going to get into that for a while. Dude, I can find a miniature for almost anything. The damn British and their fucking conversions that throw me off, though. It's like, oh, 25 bucks, and you look at it and go, fucking $75? Are you guys on drugs? Yeah. Your fucking money's dumb. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck your money and fuck the metric system. Yeah, the only pounds they believe in is their cash thing. Yeah. I want to go to Poundland, though. It's actually like a little dollar store kind of place. I want to go there sometime, <laughs> buy a bunch of random shit. See, you have to be very specific because Poundland and Pound Town are two very, very different things. <laughs> That's kind of what I was thinking, too. <laughs> <laughs> what's he talking about right now? Oh. 
All right, fellas. Well, I suppose I'm going to uh, stop recording now. You can stay on the line if you want. Make sure this thing works. All right. All right. And on that note, I'm going to go take a piss real quick. Yeah, you got it. <laughs> and fill up my drink. <laughs> on that note, talk about audiobooks. I got to go piss. <laughs> Well, some of them are better than others, man. That's yeah. true. That yeah, some, true. this is a really good, and some are just like, wow, I wasted this Dude, that time fucking, to get Dude, that fucking Israel Keys audiobook that I had. Guys, I was talking about <clears> urinating. Oh. <laughs> the book was, it was a good, like, it was good information, but motherfucker, was the guy boring. You fucking killed me. The, the, the cheers thing, you son of a bitch. I was actually hoping someone was going to sing it. Because when you said it, I automatically went, in my brain and i'm like i can't read because i'm singing fucking cheers i saw the layup there i was like fuck this i'm God taking this uh, i'm taking this i was thinking about singing but i was like no 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 just calm down motherfucker mm. you fucked me bro nah right in my bot nah <laughs> nah what are you sending me on instagram this little uh, tool hack that i figured you could use for your little tool shop downstairs oh i was hoping it was ladies but no dude i don't send that shit i look up like tool hacks, I, and then I look up food, dude. I keep getting these like fucking like Russian swimsuit models following me on Instagram, and I'm like, oh, I used to, I used to get those all the time. It's like I'll look through the pictures and go, yeah, interesting. It's yep. a waste of time. Whoop. Like I don't follow back, and then the next morning they're gone. So it's like, yeah, yeah. I don't have enough money to buy one of you anyway, so <laughs> my wife probably wouldn't be happy. I'm married. I cannot import you. What'd you buy at the store today? Uh, prostitute, maybe. <laughs> I'm not sure if she is or not. Maybe. Put it this way. She may be able to clean a house. I don't do windows. Okay, well, that's fine. You Neither are, do I. You are going to go then. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll you give must... up. You don't have to clean windows. But can you clean the shitter for me? I didn't pay $350 to have you delivered here in a crate for you to not <laughs> wash windows, so sorry. I know some people have been Back done to that. Siberia with you. But it wasn't uh, it wasn't <laughs> Russia. It was definitely like Southeast Asia. Oh boy. Yeah. What the hell? I don't know. What? What the hell, damn guy? <laughs> Dude, I'm fucking tired. Somebody's shooting at something or setting off something. I'm getting punchy already. I'm sleepy. Uh, he's getting a little sleepy, huh? Oh, not even a little. Like I, I had coffee at fucking eight o'clock at night, and like usually that would murder me, but I'm like, nah, fuck it. Oh, All right. 